0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Hard Luck Show. I'm your certified, qualified West Side host, Steve lucky luciano welcome to the greatest show on earth we're in san francisco today excited to be here got a great show lined up for you on my left my co-host as usual
1: is chumahan bowen american indian elegant barbarian southern californian here to do a bunch of interviews again (laughs) yes that's my people rao that's my people (laughs)
0: That's right. And handling sound, old blue eyes. Sean Lewis, certified audio professional,
2: engineer for the greatest show on earth. It's the Hard Love Show.
3: Yeah, Yeah, buddy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You got those old seductive blue eyes going on over there. He sure does, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He
1: does. (laughs) Well,
0: we are here. Yep. Yeah. Like that's a that. personal request from our guest. Mm-hmm. We are here in San Francisco and we're doing some interviews of some very, very special, important people. Some heavy hitters. Heavy hitters that have been on journeys that you're not used to hearing about. And I have a gentleman that's come down that I have been discussing having on the show a couple years now. We've known each other. We work side-by-side side as treasuring partners with HealthRight 360 Back when I was in San Francisco working, this gentleman has come a long, long ways, and I mean that in more respects than one. It's a very dear friend of mine, a real, real gentleman, man, person I hold very highly. Let's uh, introduce my guest that's here with us today, Ralph Moore. Let's so welcome Ralph Moore, you guys. Thank you, thank you. Ralph Moore, man, Ralph, boy, I can't, I, I, I've been telling my guys about you for a while, um, you know, as I mentioned for a moment that me and Ralph worked together, you know, I came to meet Ralph a few years back, and, uh, we became close friends, and, and, you know, Ralph has quite a story, man, he just, uh, god damn, this guy just, Every time I meet up with Ralph, he's just got some new news, man. The, 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 the changes in the guy, this gentleman, who he is today, man. I, I trust you, Ralph. I just trust you in more ways than one. And I watch you from the outside. I watch what you do and what you've done with your life. And, man, I mean, where do, I don't even, I mean, I, I don't know where to start, Dude, but to start. Well, listen, he
1: watched, when, he, when, when Ralph walks in the room, you can feel the gravitas.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like, He's you know,
1: got you gotta, about you him. gotta see, look at, even when I say that, like other guests, when we say positive stuff, they get all fly. And hey, Rob just takes it in.
3: <laughs> right? He just kind of <laughs> laid back.
1: He's like, I ain't gonna, you know, I've seen enough. I don't need to get all whatever. I asked him, I was like, hey man, you know, like, uh, like what, what, what music do you want to be introduced on? And he was like,
0: Coltrane equinox
1: yeah so he knew the right kind of, there yeah yeah so that's the kind of individual you're dealing with the kind of the kind of class and the level of intelligence and the wisdom uh, right. and all that.
0: absolutely man i met ralph about three years ago or roughly around there ralph had just gotten out from serving um a, was, how, a 23, 23 years 23 year life a 23 year 23 life sentence years. yes um, and he had just gotten out, and um,
1: wait, you met. Where did you? Where did you guys? Meet? I
0: met him up at uh, Walden House, HealthRite Three Hundred and Sixty, which is a transitional living. Uh, uh, agency that has programs inside of CDC and outside, and they have one of the largest contracts with receiving ex-lifers and people that have been long incarcerated. They have a big contract with bringing them in, putting them through transitional living and helping them incorporate back into um, the community. And I was, I was there, and Ralph showed up uh, basically around the same time I Absolutely did over there, right. and I got to meet Ralph um, immediately. Now, let me tell you something, man. Upon meeting Ralph, when he came out, uh, the way he held himself, the way he conducted himself, right. uh, this is an intelligent, sharp man. And right. right away, we were kind of drawn to each other. We started having conversations, and... Um, it just didn't at first seem to fit. I was like, "Wow, this guy just doesn't and You know, what as you I mean fit? it just seemed like Ralph was um, too big of a fish for the bowl that he was in.
1: Oh yeah. And uh,
0: at, and you know what? And I wasn't wrong. And it was I had to sit down with Ralph, and over time, and over us becoming friends, Ralph started slowly opening up and telling me about his life. And who he was and how he got to the place. You know, we don't just end up who we are, man. There's a journey behind. There's a journey to all of us and there's footsteps. And Ralph started telling me about his life, man. And the same time that he's telling me about who he is and how he's gotten here, I'm watching him on a daily basis demonstrate who he is mm. and this is a guy that walks and talk he, his walk walking his talk is the same and, uh,
1: you know that's listen. a common theme we, we, we talk to a lot of people that have done time or they've been in that world or whatever and a common theme is there's a lot of testing going on like you're gonna you're gonna listen to what the guy says but you're also gonna be watching him across the room to see how he's acting and if that's matching
0: up with what he's saying
1: exactly
0: you know what, Ralph? Mm. You know what? I want to let's kind of start from the beginning, Ralph. You you grew up. You're from Los Angeles.
4: Yeah, Compton, California. Compton, California. Yeah. My right. father's originally from Tennessee and my mom is from New Orleans. Right. He was in World War II and when he came back to the states, he decided to go west. That's where the money was. Right. right. And uh, he got in the construction field and worked in construction until I guess I was in high school. Right. He got sick for a little while and uh, he went back to school at L.A. Trade Tech and became a machinist and became one of the top machinists at North York. So, um, my father started pushing me towards engineering yeah. and I rebelled against it right. and I went into the psychology to do what I wanted to do. There was something that was pulling me there and, um, When I got hired through the Mente Corporation, I I felt that that was my calling, to be able to help people, to give back. Still a very angry young man. Right. Um, Went through two divorces. I have four children. Um, They're the love of my life. Um, And then one day, while working for the Department of Corrections, a good friend of mine told me about uh, a job in Europe. I'm like, what are we gonna do over there? <laughs> and uh I went down and you know, applied, went through a number of interviews and got hired to work as a substance abuse counselor in Germany for the army.
2: Wow. Oh, wow.
4: And uh, shortly after that I was on my way to Kaiserslautern, in Germany and I worked there for a number of years. In Germany? Yes. Wow for the army and the outpatient clinic and then came back to the United States. We moved to well, I had a son then, and we moved to Marin County. Right. I worked for the county of Marin in the Office of Employment and Training.
1: Was it a wealthy area back then too? Oh yes, because it's like one of the it's maybe the wealthiest. Area. I don't
4: know about the, but at that time it was the, the wealthiest community in the America. Right, Marin I think, County. I think Silicon Valley is a little bit a, more. Yeah,
1: right. But that that's that's where they're at. That's the class they're in. Yes. So you're living in Marin. And then what happens?
4: I went through a second divorce. Right. (laughs) And moved back to Los Angeles. Uh, And uh, my life was really messed up. Then I had spun out of control. Yeah. I did not. My My grandparents grandparents were married for 65 years. Mm. And I patterned myself after that. Right. But I messed it up. Right. I can't blame anybody but me. Right. But during that time, I blamed the world. Of course, Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. it was everybody's fault but my own. Mm. Um, So you felt on a certain level
1: that you, you, something wasn't working right. Also because of that, because you patterned yourself after your grandparents, you wanted to achieve something. You looked up to them, yes. Yes. And so there was a sense of failure and loss when you're going through your second divorce. Absolutely. And now what's working anymore?
4: Nothing's working. Right. So uh, I had an apartment. That I, I, I wanted to make some extra money, so I rented a room out to this young man that I had met, um, which was a big mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly after he moved in, I realized that he was a gang member. You know, I never knew this beforehand. Right. And I came home, and there's about three or four of his buddies there. I knew what they represented. told him he had to move. So it was around the holidays, Christmas holidays, and uh, he had left for a few days, and I ran into his old roommates, and I told him, man, it's not working. He said, well, he can move his stuff back. He can come back and live with us. So I didn't wait for that. I took his stuff down there, at least most of his stuff. And uh, about a week later, he came home. We get into a big argument. He pulls a gun on me. and. You know, I'm not going to back off a gun. Yeah. And uh, he tried to shoot me and the gun misfired. And I picked up a weight and hit him four times. And that Mm -hmm. took his life.
1: Man. Like when you say you pick up a weight, it was what kind of weight? A dumbbell.
4: Dumbbell that we used to have by the couch. Yeah. You know, while we're watching sports. Right, right. Do do some curls here. Right. And. uh,
0: so just so we're clear, I mean, you you hit this guy in the head four times, yes. And what at that point in time? Take us through what happens the next twenty four hours in a in a general way.
4: Just so twenty four we- hours, I I, I have a, a hard memory of that mm-hmm. because that's the worst thing I ever wanted to do is hurt somebody like that, right? right. And I, I guess you could say I was in shock. Mm-hmm. And there was this guy we used to call him Pops. I guess he saw me. And he took me home with him. And I, I stayed there that night. I didn't sleep. I just sat there at the couch. Mm-hmm. And he got up the next morning and wanted to give me something for breakfast. I told him no, and I left. And I went to a friend of mine's house and said, man, you need to take me to the police.
1: You went to turn yourself in. Yes. So I'm listening to the story and I'm thinking to myself, like, obviously, I mean, to defend yourself with uh, a weight Right is a lot different than pulling a trigger from a distance away and shooting somebody that's a pretty intimate way of killing somebody right. right right, and so I'm thinking like I could see the shock and I could see like what's going on, but did you ever he pulled a gun and it misfired Did that come up as a like hey i I'm defending myself
4: I testified in court to that
1: and and what did the court case make of that?
4: Not too much of anything um I spent uh Two and a half years fighting it as a pro per, Yeah. Not thinking I could be a lawyer and go up against a district attorney.
1: Right. But I wanted to know
4: all the facts about this. Right. So um, towards the end of the two and a half years, I had to turn it back over to an attorney. And, so. And um, they tried to give me the attorney, the public defender that they sent to me in the beginning, who had never tried, tried a murder case. Right. Um and I didn't want him to represent me in court. And I fought that happening and uh, wind up getting him dismissed. And they brought somebody from the Alternative Public Defender's Office. And he said he couldn't represent me. So they gave me a state-appointed attorney
3: mm-hmm.
4: that uh, really didn't do her job.
1: Now, did she didn't do her job because she wasn't being paid a lot to do it? Or she didn't do her job because she didn't know how?
4: Well, she had come—I didn't find out until after I was found guilty that she had just come out of the district attorney's office. So she had to know how. So She's, she, a, she's a former prosecutor.
1: Right. So she just wasn't—she wasn't pushing for your rights at no, all. No, she wasn't. Because she was from the other side still. Yes. Right.
4: So I get found guilty on Christmas Eve day. The jury didn't want to be there. They asked the question before they adjourned to deliberate. What would happen if they didn't come up with a verdict that day? The judge says, Well, I'll let you guys go for Christmas. Then I'll bring you back after New Year's. No one wants to go through that. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they were wrong, because I was guilty. I have no no excuse for that. Right. But guilty of first degree murder I'm not.
1: Well that's what I was gonna say. So and I'm listening to what you're you're laying out there and I'm thinking to myself, okay. It sounds a little bit like maybe a manslaughter to me,
4: that's what it should have been, but um in Los Angeles for an african American male right, there's no self defense right I mean, you can claim it right, but the judicial system is not gonna let that happen.
1: Yeah, and I think people have a hard time wrapping their minds around just how corrupt the Los Angeles Police Department really was and is.
4: Well, one of the um, detectives on my case, who was out of Rampart Division. Right.
1: We just got done doing a show on Rampart. And,
4: and he was connected with some of that. Not saying that uh, that played that much into my case, mm-hmm. right. but it played a part in it.
1: But no, it, but it, it but it did in the sense that nobody was jumping up saying like we got to protect this guy's rights.
4: All right. No, right. No. Um, you know, we talk about criminal justice system in this country that you're innocent until proven guilty. That's not true.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
4: You're guilty from the beginning. First, you have the bail system where you walk into court and you have a blue jumpsuit on. Right. You're already incarcerated. Yes. They don't look at you as somebody that's innocent until proven guilty. You're guilty and you have to try to prove you're innocent.
1: That's absolutely correct. And that's one of the reasons why you can move for the court when you're in trial, because it's such an implication. You can have the court. You can have a suit because
0: they bring you you can bring you trial clothes
1: because they know that it's very powerful. Just just the fact that you're in custody even. Right. From right. us, people be like, "Well, well, there's smoke, there's fire." I mean, well, I don't know exactly what he did, but he must have done something. Because why is he here? Right.
4: right. Well, I, I had to change of clothes in, in my trial, but you could tell even with that, the right. way they deal with you in the courtroom, you're not walking in from the outside because jurors are outside. They see who comes in, right? right. And then they bring you in through a special door, right?
1: right. And you know what's interesting about what you're saying is um, at my law school, I went to Pepperdine. Steve Mm -hmm. Cooley, the district attorney for L.A., came, and I asked him a question in front of everybody. I got one shot. They let the Indian ask a question.
3: Mm -hmm. I asked
1: him straight up. I go, now, you've been doing this job for X amount of years. Let me ask you a question. With all the expertise that you have now, why do people commit crimes? And he just looked at everybody and goes, I don't know. And I was like, "Damn, that's the guy that's running the whole system. He has no theory, nothing to share or insight on what's going on there
4: well, if you look at the unemployment rates, yeah, if you look at the education levels right if you look at the poverty that's in Southern California, just Southern California alone, right, then you would understand why right, you know, um." I have a lot to say about that. Um, this whole system has been rigged. And it's not for you, it's against you.
1: Absolutely.
4: Especially with minorities.
1: Absolutely.
4: Or especially with poor people. Poor people oh, for sure. People for you know, sure. Here, uh, I was a B student at Centennial High School in Compton who went to L.A. State College. And I almost flunked out. Why? My life hadn't changed that much. I did good in school when I was in high school. Then how come I can't make the same grade in college? I wasn't one of those to party and I worked to go to school. Right. But it's the education level of what, say, you would get in West L.A. versus what you got in Compton. It's completely different.
1: Right. And the the Compton school system, right, has had its own difficulties with uh, corruption and having to be taken over by the Fed.
4: So I said my father, I was talking to you earlier about my father working in construction. right? Yeah. On rainy days. He was at my school. He had three children in high school and he went around and talked to all the teachers one day it's raining. I know my father's going to be there. So I'll probably get in trouble because <laughs> he's going to act- go
0: check in with all the yeah. teachers I was
4: acting up here. And then he's talking to my English teacher. Mm-hmm. And my English teacher, I'll never forget, he said to my father, what more do you want Ralph to do? To finish school, learn a trade, and get a job? He said, is that all you expect from my son sitting in your class? mm, mm. And he went to the district office on him and got this guy removed out of the school.
0: Right. Teaching but mediocrity.
4: That's what happens.
0: Dude, but the stories you tell me about your dad, yeah. the, the stories about his dad, this guy's off from work. And what is he doing when it's raining outside? He's at his kid's school talking to teachers. Guy built his own house. Guy used to wake this guy up on the, with him on the weekends yeah. and cook you guys a huge breakfast, right?
4: Yep. Yeah. We love that my, I just like the. You know, the there, the was, there was a, a love hate relationship because I love my father right but I hated him all the time I ah, had
1: the same exact thing you
4: know uh, he was very abusive
1: right you see though but, Steve but it's and, it's it's confusing like Ralph and I like we have dads that do amazing things from a guy level like mm-hmm. you know showing up taking us camping or like doing this or doing that whatever it is that a lot of dads don't actually do that shit yeah. so on some level you got to commend the man but then on the other hand, the guy's a maniac in other ways. And so, you're like, what am I supposed to do with both of those?
4: So here's a man that built his own house. And in our den, he built a blackboard in the wall. <laughs> so on Saturday mornings, he'd get up early and he put some math problems and English problems. And it would be my older brother and then me and then my sister. And he said, I want this done when I get home. And he'd check it. <laughs> no wonder
0: why
3: he
1: was thinking teachers weren't doing he, shit. this. Yeah, guy put a classroom dude. in the yeah. house. He yeah.
4: was all about education, right? Yeah, I'll never forget. He used to say, uh, any student can sit in the class and get a C, even without opening a book. That's true, and he didn't want that. Ask, ask, Bush, ask
1: Bush Jr. and ask Donald Trump. That you is absolutely bet true. You not
4: bring a C home on That's his right. on your report card, or you're in trouble. That's mm-hmm. right, I mean, big trouble, right? Um, so before. Before they taught Negro history, that's what they called it then, in junior high school, my father would go to bazaars and get books by black authors about their culture from Africa and bring them home. And he said, I know you have your homework to do. But in 30 days I want a book report on this book man. So
0: that's okay dude man, Steve what would, I, what would it what would it did your dad ever My go dad, they didn't do nothing like that did uh, you did your dad go buy
1: like any Italian Sicilian books history nah, and say hey I want you to know about where you come from
0: no no that was no
1: Sean dude you're your did your dad ever go <laughs> what are you dude are you Celtic what the <laughs> fuck are you Irish <laughs> what are you are you Celtic so, did your dad ever go and get, like, British history books no, or whatever? history
2: books. But my dad did buy me books.
4: No, did he buy you books and say about you where you come no, from? No, no, no. But that was probably taught at home. What do you mean? You'd hear your uncles, your grandfathers oh, tell man. you about stories. Nah, he's, he's
1: he's he's like a... He's that yeah. Sacramento white kind of person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Poor well, white from Sacramento. a
2: whole lot of uh, discovery about our lineage. Right?
4: So... I used to go fishing with my grandfather. Need water, bro? Yes, please. And um, you want sparkling his... water or flat? Flat. Please. That's how we do it here at and... the Hard Luck Show. <laughs> okay. Whatever you want. And uh, his father and grandfather were both slaves. Yeah. What? So I I listened to stories about them. That's amazing. Going fishing with my grandpa, you know. Um, here recently, my mom's family did their family tree and it went back to the 1300s in Milan, France. My mom is what you call Creole. Yeah. Yeah. So she's a mixture. Yeah. And uh, that uncle in Milan was a doctor. He got arrested for witchcraft back in the 1300s. That could happen to you back then.
3: Yeah. And
4: uh, he was friends with a a well-to-do family and they helped get him out. But he had to go before the Pope. For wow. for uh, a hearing, and he went on to do real famous things. My my great uncles were white, and I have pictures of them. Yeah, and they own two plantations on each side of the Mississippi River wow. in New Orleans. Man, wow. so um, there's a a lot of history and a lot of different cultures in my family.
1: Yeah. So 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 it's Christmas. The jurors don't want to come back. So they rush to a decision and they say you're and guilty. How, right. Now,
4: Ralph, how old are you at I'm, this time? I'm 70 years old. No, no. How old are you? <laughs> oh, the happens, time of this. I'm
0: in my early 40s. He's in his early 40s. Now, this is a gentleman. So he's who, already
1: lived a life up to a point, right? Absolutely,
0: Yeah, yes. and, and with many accomplishments, he has kids, he's had a family, he's been divorced, he's been married twice. Yeah. In his 40s, And when they're sentencing you, there's something that that judge tells you that sticks in my my head.
4: What did that judge tell you? (laughs) He said it was a shame that he had to sentence me by the law. (sighs) Because there's a sentencing guideline. Right. And he said, with accomplishing what you meant to your community, this is a waste. But I have to sentence you to 25 years to life. Damn. He commended me on how I uh, carried myself in his courtroom when I was a pro per. Right. Um, he congratulated me on that. And he said, I, I wish you luck in your sentence. And I hope you realize you might not ever come out of there. Yeah.
0: That's what he told. He told this guy that. You're probably not going to. That's huh?
1: cold. That's cold comfort.
4: Yeah. Well,. That was his thinking. My thinking was completely different than that.
1: What was your thinking?
4: That I will come back. This that I will come home.
1: This ain't over.
4: It's not over. And I, I went to reception at Wasco.
1: But before we get there, I don't mean in disrespect, mm-hmm. but like a lot of times we hear from these guys who made a snap decision when they're eighteen and they get the twenty. What's it like for a guy who's in his mid-40s to get 25 to life?
4: My life is over with. Man. I mean, and I, wasn't, is... I wasn't willing to accept that.
0: Right, that's just... It's just... After doing the prison time that I did, I would think in my 40s as I was out, I, c- I could not face catching a case now, let alone a 25. Like, I'm unwilling, would be unwilling, to catch, like, a 10-year sentence, to Uh, give him 10 at 45. You know what I'm saying? Then to catch a life sentence at 45, in my head, just hearing it, that's like, that's a wrap, man.
1: Yeah, but but, but then think about Ralph. Ralph not only goes through that, but he's still got enough spirit that he's also saying, it ain't over.
0: As we're going to hear.
4: So, I went to Wasco State Prison for about 90 days. And then they sent me to Calipatria, which is down on the uh, Arizona, Mexico, California border in the desert. Damn. And I'll never forget the day we pulled up on that bus. And I looked at that yard and said, what the hell have I got myself into? What did it look like? <sighs> a different world. It's a level four prison. So you have a mixture of people that are doing two years, three years. Ten years, 15, a 25 to life. But the problem is you have LWAPs there. Life L-wop. without. Without parole. Life without parole. So that's a, a, that's the land of the living dead.
1: Nothing to lose.
4: Nothing to lose. And most lifers felt that way at that time also. Right. Because when I first went to prison, no lifers were being paroled. That's right. Wilson... Reagan, Duke Mason, all of them said, if you get a life sentence, that's what you're going to do, life. Life meant life. Yeah. So when I get to this prison, I'm going around asking other lifers, I say, what do I got to do to go home, man? Mm-hmm. I said, oh, man, if you don't go over there and sit down somewhere, <laughs> <laughs> he said, that padlock is on your door and it's never coming off. Man. And I couldn't accept that. Right. So I go to uh, classification within a week after you're there and uh, I came out and uh, the CO of this lady she says "Uh, what are you going to do? I said I don't know. Right. She said go write me a resume. I said a resume now? She said yeah. So I went back got me a pencil (laughs) and I wrote up a resume and when I took it back to her she couldn't believe it. She said wait right here I'm going inside. And when I She came out. She says, they want to interview you right now. And I got a job as the clerk for the principal of the school there in prison.
1: So they kind of knew. So when you got, so the one thing I want to know is like when you got off the bus and you started getting processed and all other stuff, everybody kind of knew you were a
4: different kind of guy. No, they didn't. They didn't. No. No. I'm just another black coming to prison. Yep. right as an old man how does, a 25 to life sentence how does the ceo pull
1: you ceo pull you aside and say what you're going to do how she spot you
4: i don't hmm. know something she saw i guess maybe the way i spoke with her the way i talked to her right i don't use slang talking right you know so uh
1: so that might have set you apart in her mind to say wait a minute might have this guy might be able to teach or something.
0: Some of your history, some of your past experience was serving him at that point in time. Absolutely. Totally, you know, right? yes. Well, that's
1: what I'm trying to figure out is how Absolutely. does he, as he's coming in, how does how do they know, like, hey, let's get a resume from him?
4: Right. Right. Yeah, well, you know, my past history, uh, when I worked for Mentec Corporation, the job we did there, uh, I talked on the, they had me come on the Bob Eubanks show It was like a coffee hour, Yeah, and I spoke about what we were doing with Mentec Corporation. The Los Angeles Times did a full-page spread on what we were doing with Mentec. So um, I used to have to meet with people coming out of Washington, D.C., through the Department of Labor, take them out to dinner, discuss things with them. So I I know how to be professional. Right. Right. So at this time, um, I didn't have any computer experience. Did what this. year is this now? Let's, this let's 19, get 90, six, 97.
1: So computers are just getting kind of going. Mm-hmm. Like it's have, not. You my, didn't
4: have the internet,
1: right? It's like you didn't have the internet. But right, imagine right,
4: that. Right. I bought. Oh. Uh, I just uh, picked a, up a, another you, term in ninety-seven. A, Mor- a Motorola flip phone. It's one of right. the first phones, right? So, exactly. You know, right. But you had to keep charged all the yeah, time. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> that—that's what I left. Going to prison, yeah. So I'm at Calipatria State Prison for three years, and my points were really high, and I didn't understand why. So we went through a lockdown for ten months, one of the worst times of my life. That's a lockdown, I
0: and mean, that means you can't leave your cell
4: for ten months.
0: Right. The institution. Months. Yeah. You're in the what cell, was the What the was, was the reason for the was lockdown?
4: lockdown. It was probably stabbing. A riot, like, you know, a riot on the yard. All right, in the education department where we, I work. That's worked.
0: not the one where they ran into the, uh, that's not the one, no, that was later. No,
4: that was before, before that I was got before there. before you got there? Yes. So just, the-
0: so just so you guys know, I just want to just give you a real quick on Calipatria prison. What do you got? What do you got? That's it.
1: Calipatria yeah, prison. Calipatria yeah. prison.
0: Just so you it look like it looked like Area 51. It okay, does, so now yeah. you guys, a little history on Calipatria prison. The level of four yard that he's at. This is also the same prison where the inmates ran up into the program office and killed some COs and some uh, counselors. No, got killed who stabbed them. Stabbed.
4: Them. No, no one died. In yeah. that Nobody it, died. So. In that. No.
0: They ran up into the prison. Okay, they ran up in there and started stabbing yeah. people, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's not supposed to
4: happen. No. <laughs> um. I mean, so it's, it's a, a pretty spot. It's a pretty notorious yard. Yeah. In fact, on on the B yard, the one that I was on, I heard a sergeant say that we had more incidents on that yard than they did at Pelican Bay. Wow. Man, I've seen the worst humanity can do to another man at Calipatria State Prison. Mm-hmm. I mean, the worst. If you name it, I saw it there. Mm-hmm there's no warning shots in prison. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so listen um, to this.
1: Listen to this. So Calipatria opened in January 92. Um uh it had a 1.5 million dollar electrified fence which would cause instantaneous death for wow. escaping inmates and was the first of its kind among California state prisons. Absolutely. Man, and when were you there?
4: During that time period.
1: Goddamn, an electric fence that would just kill you. Yeah, Not just shock your balls off, kill you.
4: No. Fuck. Well, I eventually left there and went to CMC East in San Luis Obispo. They have the same kind of fence there. It's no different. They, they've tried to put those in all the prisons. Um, in the summer, it would get
1: to 118 degrees Fahrenheit.
4: I've been there when it was 120. Jeez. Damn. The you smell- get up in the morning to walk along the track single file line to chow and it's so hot that it that sun will burn your face at night the temperature would drop maybe around 12 o'clock below 100 degrees
1: right because it's the desert yes the smell of cow manure pervades the prison in the entire area due to large cattle feed lots nearby
4: absolutely is that true absolutely you just be fucking stinking. Yeah, it smells like cow
0: dung everywhere.
3: Yeah,
1: dude, you know how like sometimes when you're driving in California and you're like trying to get to San Francisco or go down south and you smell that cow manure. Well, we this, did it. We right.
3: rolled down the windows and right. got right. hit it
1: with was, it. Yeah. Well, you blame the cows. I don't know if it was cows or not, but we had to roll down the windows. It was
4: right by we had to air yeah. it out. Right. Oh so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's true. Right.
1: Um. So, so what you were talking about, Steve, was in August 2005, mm-hmm. a riot. Was the most up most violent uprising at the prison. Twenty-five inmates, twenty-five prison staff members wounded. A yeah. guard shot killed an inmate with a mini fourteen semi automatic rifle, <clears throat> which was believed to contribute to ending the violence. And they blamed it on Hispanic gang members. So that that's what you're talking about. Right. So you're there for three years? Yes. And then what happens after
4: three years? I get transferred to CMC East. Okay. In which I call CMC East Camp Snoopy. Right. Why do you call it that? Because there's no politics. At Camp Snoopy? No. Every other prison in, in California, there's politics mm-hmm. where Steve's not going to talk to me and I'm not going to talk to him.
0: Right. How were you, de- how did you deal with those politics, Ralph? You can't make
4: me, you can't tell me what to do. And that was and pretty much your on, attitude. I know how to stand on my two feet. At Calipatria. I guess you had to do three years there. Yes. And People that needed help, I helped them. What, no matter what race they are, mm-hmm. you know, and no one's going to say anything to me about it either. Right. So you get over to CMC. So that yeah, you so go to, to, to CMC. Snoop. Snoop.
1: You sure, Charlie Brown and Lucy didn't have any politics <laughs> over there? <laughs> no. <laughs> All
4: right. um, but there's no politics there, right? So uh, at first, I didn't want to be there because I had become accustomed to. Being in a, a very strict environment right, where you keep three feet around you at all times, right, nobody can enter that space right and when I get to c m c east people are run by you, and right. it's like, "Where the hell am I now right you know but after thirty days there i I realized that this was about the best place I could be right, and I started programming i uh went to work in education. Shortly after that, they asked me to work up front in the uh, uh, associate warden's office. I did that. And then I had an opportunity to take a, a vocational class, which because of being a lifer, I had to have two vocational classes when I went to board. Mm-hmm. So I took the computer-aided drafting class, and I loved it.
1: Computer it was, drafting. It
4: was a two-year course that I finished in nine months, and that was kind of unheard of. But but I had a great time. Right. I enjoyed it. What were you? What what programs were you learning? Uh, the CAD program. Right. Um, so um, after finishing that, I had to go find a job, mm. and uh, wow, let's back up a little bit. At Calipatra State Prison, my uh cellie had gone on a visit one morning, and I decided to wax the floor. It's concrete floor. Yeah. I'm gonna put wax on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because it's, to do it. it's easy to keep your cell clean that way with that wax seal on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he had gone out early, and I'm sitting there washing my face. And I stood there for about an hour looking in the mirror. Hmm. I didn't like what I saw. So I want to put some music on the radio. I'm going through the stations. And this was around August 1996. That morning was a million-man Christian walk on Washington, D.C., and I started hearing these ministers talking. Some of them I knew who they were, I knew their names. And I just sat there on the bunk and listened to it. And before too long, I found myself face down on that floor, crying out for the Lord to change my life. Hmm. And see, all before that, I hated God. Right. From a little boy to here at forty something years old, and I had tried it my way and failed, crashed and burned in everything I did.
1: You were out of fucking options at that point, and so now it was time to ask.
4: So for I help. gave my life for Christ, and I won't give it back. Hmm. And that started to change in me. So by the time I get to before I even went to C M C when I was confirmed to go to C M C, some of the brothers in the Christian program there at Calipat said, Man, you're going to a great place. They got a beautiful ministry there. So when I get to Cal, when I get to C M C East, there's a brother there that was with me in the county jail. He got arrested about twenty days after I did. And we became friends and uh He used to cut my hair every day, every time I went to court. So uh, I started going over to the chapel, going to services. Excuse me. And on Christmas Eve, um, they had a program, and he came and got my ID. He said, don't leave. He said, after everybody leave, don't leave. And I didn't know they had a list out of men that were going to stay in the chapel because these community volunteers um I didn't know them then, but um had come in and they had a little something for us mm. we we sat back and we shared our stories similar to what I'm doing now yeah but but only on a very lower level and he takes me up front to meet this white guy with his hair as white as snow, and he asked me my name and I told it, and he asked me where was I from and I told it. He said, well, we're homeboys. I said, you're not my homeboy, man. What are Mm -hmm. you talking about? And he told me where he grew up, and it was in the same area of Compton that I grew up in, but years before he's quite a bit older than me. Mm -hmm. His name was John Milton. And I say that because when I finished that drafting vocational course, I'm going around trying to find a job. Mm -hmm. And Chaplain Alderson saw me, and he says, what are you doing, bro? I said, I'm looking for a job. He said, well, come on in here. And he had me fill out an application to work in the chapel. He says, I'll be back. Uh, I have to go unlock some doors and gates. And he never came back. So I eventually left and went back to my yard. And one of the clerks that was in the chapel came to, to me on the yard after lunch. And he said, hey, you're going to get a ducket tonight. Ralph hired you to work in the chapel. Uh-huh. I'm like, wow, okay. I got a job, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so the next morning I went in and he, he called me in the office he mm-hmm. told me to have a seat and he got on the phone and he called somebody he said oh yeah we finally got him <laughs> I'm like what <laughs> finally got Ralph who was he talking to mm-hmm. I didn't know but it was that same guy that said he was my homeboy John Milton John, John. Milton and uh, I soon became aware that I was going to be the clerk in the chapel for School of the Bible Wow. And John Milton was a community volunteer that ran that program, Mm -hmm. had been running it for years. School of the Bible is a, a Bible education school that meets on Monday nights and Saturday mornings. And I quickly learned that he had earmarked me to run that as the inmate coordinator. And I did that for the next 12 years at CMC East. Wow.
1: And, you know, I was listening to your your, your, your what you're saying, and I'm like, you know, you had that experience where you surrendered, right? Uh, and it was a, a, to a Christ, and you were listening to a Christian message. On Christmas, the first Christmas, you were sent away. Mm-hmm. On the next, then the next Christmas, <laughs> he gets a lifeline to be in the chapel.
4: Not, not the next Christmas. Three years later, around uh, Christmas time. Yes, cuts. right. Same thing. Yes,
1: that's an interesting coincidence that there's so much you're touched in that way by by those moments or whatever. How you thought of that before, of course, right?
4: Yeah, yeah, that's cool, yeah. man. I've had a lot of men tell me that, uh, well, from the county jail to prison, that I was meant to come there.
1: Do you believe that? I know that. You don't even question it?
4: No. And in the story, you'll hear about it. So um, they teach Bible classes. Right. They had an anger management class. And then one day I get a book from my daughter by John Eldridge called, oh, what's the name? I can't even recall the name. I just remember the author because it had such an impact on my life. Ransomed so Heart?
3: Can...
1: Was it Ransomed Heart?
4: Wild Dead Heart. Wild Thank Heart. you. Yeah. By John Eldridge. Right. Mm. And, and I got this book and I started reading it and I couldn't put it down. It's only 134 pages. Okay. But I read that book that night and the next day I'm reading it again at work and I'm trying to tell the guys in the chapel, man, you got to hear this. Listen to this. And I was read part... They said, man, are you crazy? Leave us alone. (laughs) And when John Milton came in that night, I said, John, man, I got this fantastic book. It is off the chain. It is unbelievable. He said, what is it? I said, "Wild at heart. And he just looked at me and smiled. He said, I'm teaching that same book to 40 men in my church right now. Mm -hmm. He said, do me a favor. Write John Eldridge a letter, and I'll make sure he gets it. And tell him what you thought about this book. The very next Monday he came in and he brought books in. He says, I want you to teach this class here. And he came with a video series. And I started teaching that class. Mm -hmm. And I saw how men were touched Mm -hmm. by this book. And that just encouraged me even more. So for the next three years, I watched this man strapping man, lose a foot, lose a leg, Mm. and then the other leg Mm. because of diabetes. Uh Mm. Yeah. And he never once said, why me? Uh He never once changed. He was still the John Milton that I had met. Mm. Now, I mentioned Reverend Alderson. These two men showed me what it was to be a man of God. I mean, they were unbelievable. They are like my fathers. Um, and so for the next 12 years, I was MA coordinator for School of the Bible. I did the graduations. I set up the curriculums. I did the, the brochures for uh, registration to get in those classes. I taught classes. I used to do this anger management class.
1: How did the anger management class work for you? Because you told us, like, man, I was
4: angry. It changed yeah. my life. You were you were teaching what you needed to hear. Absolutely. Right? Um, every semester that I taught anger management, I would start with this. I'd ask the men, did they know what tear ducts were? Right. they look at me like, what? What kind of ducts? I said, tear ducts. <laughs> right. te- I said, if I punched you in the nose right now, what would happen? Did you get a good fight? I said, before the fight <laughs> Before the fight, what would happen? My eyes were water. I said, everyone on this earth has been designed the same way. Right. You have tear ducts. But what are they for? Oh, I'd get all kind of answers. <laughs> yeah. I said, But that's a cleansing process. And ever since you were a little boy, someone, some caretaker, you'd scrape your knee or hurt yourself, and you start crying. And somebody would say, stop that crying, big boys. Don't cry.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do oh, you realize, yeah. Do, <laughs> you
4: oh, yeah. That, right? Oh, man. Do you, <laughs> you just realize, triggered me, Ralph. You just triggered me. Do you realize how damaging that is to a young kid? Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> because, uh, fucked up, my friend over here. Me yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
4: scarred for life. At that point, you start stuffing emotions. Yep. Dude,
1: you're talking to the king stuffer right there. You start stuffing emotions. Sean stuffs emotions like you won't. And believe. one day, that to come out very ugly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very Fuck, ugly. Yeah. Hell yeah hey while we're right here right and you're make that you're making a to- a bunch of sense to us guys because this is one of our topics always is how our yeah. dads tried to train us right not to be little girls who cry but these tough guys
4: that's what wilded heart's about
1: I'm looking at um i did, while you were talking I pulled this up let me just really quick and you can expand <laughs> on it if you want rob but mm-hmm. so like one of the things they talk about in this book is that um that um, And this is the perspective of this, of this Mr. Eldridge, right? Mm-hmm. He says that all men
4: carry a wound. Absolutely. Hits- Absolutely. All men. I don't care how you cut it. All men carry that wound. Go on. Man,
0: I don't know. You have to be real careful when you talk, bro. No, I, <laughs> love real... it.
1: I love having a guy with some fucking authority in here that's like, absolutely, that's right. Oh man. I mean, I do you agree I, with that course,
0: Steve Of course, of course I do. Sean? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I know I it's be, true. I'm old enough to be able to admit and see Amen. absolutely Amen. Of course. Amen.
1: right. Okay. All men carry a wound that hits men in the area of their deep question.
4: Right, uh, What does that mean, Ralph? Am I good enough? Do, oh. I, do I have what it takes? Oh. God. That's God. <laughs> the fucking God. truth right there, bro. That is there, the
0: bro. truth. Is- God damn, and you want to know something? I love it because the truth is not complex. No, it's not. No, it's not. Am I good enough?
1: Am I
4: good enough? A wound, and it hits you in that question. And our daughter's... Carry this womb. What? Do you delight in me? Mm, Am I special to you?
1: Mm. I can tell you right now, unequivocally, that my daughter delights the hell out of me, Ralph. She's very special to me. She's just turning five months old.
4: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a daughter that's 42 and a daughter that's 34. Amen. Yeah, I
1: got pictures of them with me wherever yeah, I go. Look at that! That's wonderful. Look at her.
4: That's precious. Little Tigra. Yeah, Tigra's going to be a heartbreaker.
1: Ah, oh, yeah. You know what, Papa's a jawbreaker. So don't you right. worry about that. Thank
4: you for sharing that. With
1: me. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Thank you.
4: Um, but but in that in that course, there's a video series, and it, it's uh, five men that go away, and most of them, all of them are Christians, right? At different levels, as a pastor there, right? and they go away to a retreat of these five men to uh a ranch somewhere in in uh in the United States and they spend a week together right and they go through a a um a, a very special time and they share their lives right. openly with each other and uh it's a pretty powerful class So, so this wound, right
1: Mm -hmm. now, everyone's wound is slightly inflected from their own history, like their own experience. Yes. So it's, it might be similar, but it's never exactly the
4: same. We're all different. Right. We're all different. But the actual question it's hitting is kind of the same. It's the same with every man. Do I have (laughs) what it takes? And am I good enough?
1: How from, does it manifest? From
4: the CEO yeah. to the guy that sweeps the floor. Right.
1: All right. So let me ask you this. This is a great topic. This is a fant- Thank you, by the way, for bringing this You're up. You're welcome. I love it. So now, how does somebody start to explore like, okay, so what's my particular wounding in that area? Or if you want to use yourself as an example, you can or somebody else. Like, how, does, how do you start to look at it for a lot of people who are listening? like, How do they get started?
4: Okay. So first, they get the book and read. Let's let's set the book aside for a moment. Okay. All right. Um, I told you I came from a very troubled childhood. Right. A very abusive father. Right. I would say from uh, the sixth grade. I was terrible at spelling. I had a teacher named Mr. Johnson, big strapping black guy. Uh, My mother was very active in the PTA. She held every position in the PTA that you could have. Right. Hmm. From the president all the way, secretary all the way down.
1: Yeah.
4: And one day I'm in my bedroom and I look out the window and here's Mr. Johnson pulling up to our house. It's like, oh my goodness, man. So I know after that meeting, There's going to be a discussion about me with my teacher. Right. With my parents. That can't be Mm -hmm. good. And they're asking, well, what does he need to improve in? (sighs) Spelling, my worst subject. My father tells him for every word he missed, gives him five swats. (laughs) I'm like, you know, don't you beat my rear enough Hmm, that you're telling some other man to beat me? Right. And from that point on, it got progressively worse. Because I became very rebellious, right, you start handing the beating to somebody else. No, you didn't want to mess with me because I'm a big kid. that's what I'm saying You, you didn't <laughs> want to mess with me and my father would make me take my clothes off mm-hmm. tie my hands, throw a rope over the rafters, and you know what's in the walls, of wiring yeah. that has the rubber around the copper yeah. wire. Yeah. 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 He'd make a whip out of that and beat oh. me until my legs would bleed. Damn. And I would go to bed, and my pajamas would dry on my legs with that blood.
2: Oh, my God.
4: And i have to get up in the morning and soak in the bathtub to be able to pull my oh. pajamas away. It's not the hard part. That's brutal. The hard part is having to go to school the next day and take gym. Right. Where I had to undress, and my buddies would see my legs and try to clown me. Right. Say, who beat you like a slave? Right. And that better not come out of their mouth. Right. Because they had something coming. Right. Mm -hmm.
1: Was there any acknowledgement at that time from your father? Like, I know he probably wouldn't have said, like... He
4: never acknowledged it in my life.
1: Even from a look in his eye where he would kind of know, like, I shouldn't know. Maybe
4: a little bit towards the end of his life. He Uh died a horrible death of colon cancer. Mm -hmm. Oh, man.
0: Your your brother getting the same thing as you got? No. Okay. Your older brother? No. Oh, no.
4: Eugene was the prodigal son, man. He didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. He wasn't um, as aggressive as me. Right. He wasn't as outspoken as me. Whatever Mm -hmm. they said do, he did. Mm -hmm. I questioned everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And they didn't like that.
1: So, in the in the scheme of the wound you carry, that reflects: Am I good enough? Right? Do I have what it takes? How does your experience being beaten like that? How does that then? Translate? I never
4: felt I was good enough. I never really knew until later on in life that I do have what it takes. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until coming through the prison system where I realized that. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, hold on, dude. That was amazing because the wound that was initially inflicted on you was one of punishment. And in a weird way, you had to go back through a punishment in order to heal the
4: wound. Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. I hate to say this. Yeah. I hate to say this. Hmm. But that was the best thing that could ever happen. Going
0: to prison, right? You've said that to me before. That's a lot of courage, man. To admit that
1: to admit that and to say and to have the guts to say like maybe I needed that or that was the best thing. That's a lot of courage. But didn't we
2: just go through this again with on our last one?
4: Yes. And yeah. What? Because today I'm more of the man that God created me to be from the very beginning. Right.
1: And now you do know that you have what it takes because you didn't lay down. You went. So, so you were telling us as you went through the system, a lot of people were telling you it's over. Like, good luck. It's over. And you kept going. And eventually now here you are on this side sharing your strength.
4: Well, I'll jump ahead just a little bit yeah. to, to, to verify what you're saying. Here I am, an African-American male. That's late in years. Yeah. That goes to the board and gets found suitable on his first time going to board. <sighs> mm-hmm. That doesn't happen. Well, I, know doesn't. Mm-hmm. I know it doesn't. It doesn't happen. That was uh, people, when they knew the day that I went to the board, they were waiting for me to come out to find out what happened. Because they knew something was different. Well, they saw the work that I did. Right. Especially at CMC East. Right. Where I helped design a group, a self-help group, and then I wrote a 134-page curriculum for a group that I started. That's still going on in CMC East today. Man. Wow. It's called the Life Awareness Program. And the warden made it into a book mm. so that inmates could have to keep when they left there because we we uh-huh. talk
1: to a lot of fellas that go through that situation and the story they have when they go to the boards is lots of questions and, and then years of going to the board and being denied and Absolutely. all that. Absolutely. So to go at first time.
4: Be- you have no idea of what that is about. Mm-hmm. This is like going before some God that has power over your life. And right, death. right. And you don't know what to expect. There's no set pattern to train you. That's how the Life Awareness program, I mean, not the Life Awareness, the LTOP program is the first real rehabilitation program that's been in the system since the early 70s. And it's a two-year program that you have to go through. Anger management, substance abuse, uh, uh, family issues, What's the name of the one
0: where you you have to listen to uh, the victim of a crime?
4: Oh, to- Restorative Justice. Restorative Justice. Oh, what a powerful program. Powerful program. I hear
0: that. I, you know, from my experience, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ralph, uh-huh. uh, and you guys, just check me out. As I begun to meet and work with lifers, I would trip out on a lot of these lifers, man. They didn't change the path that they were on, even as they got convicted for their crime. They spent fifteen, 20 years in prison, stealing, stabbing, lying, never, and never owning their crime that they committed, right? Yeah. And so many of these men that they got into restorative justice classes, and once they started hearing the other side of the story, it changed who they were. Okay. It was it was through these a lot of these experiences that these men it started affecting them, and they started taking ownership
4: for what happened. Am I wrong in what I'm saying? Oh, no, no, you're not wrong. I just want to maybe correct a little please, bit of it. Please, please, please. See, when you go to restorative justice, you have to be in this this class once a week for two hours for a year. Before you meet the victim you hear that guys so it's preparing you for this one meeting how do they prepare How do they prepare you? It's the exercises that you do I have a I still have a lot of stuff I have a, a book that I wrote my this exercise in and the exercise is you break your life up into five parts yeah. from age six. To age 18. So you break that into five years. I mean, five parts. Six to 18? Yes. Okay. The first time you saw violence, <sighs> whether it was at home or at school. Mm-hmm. In in physical the person. The first time you had sex. <sighs> the first time you were violent to somebody. Mm-hmm. And when you write this out, it's several questions in there. I wish I had that with me. I oh, man, that. that's powerful shit and, that you're talking and when about. And I, when, I, when I finished it, and then I have to get up and uh, uh, present this to the class. Right. But when I finished it, before I did the presentation, I said, that's my life right there. Right. Everything. You can see how your life turns this way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I cherish that book because that's my life. That That led me to prison. Mm -hmm. It all happened in that. I was one of the biggest liars that ever walked the face of the earth. Mm. I lied for no reason.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: My ex-wife said something to me one day that hurt me to my core. She said, Ralph, you could charm the rattles off a rattlesnake. (laughs) Right. That hurt. Yeah. Because she knew how big of a liar I was. I think my wife said that to me last week. (laughs) I don't lie anymore. Right. I don't care if you like me or not. Someone at work said something to me the other day, and I just kept walking. And one of the clients heard it. He says, that doesn't bother you. I said, I don't care what people think about me. I know who I am. Right. They're going to have their thoughts. That's on them, not me. Because if the wound
1: is still open to the question, am I good enough? Do I have what it takes? Then what somebody thinks about you can actually bait you into. It's
4: like a scab that you tear open. Right.
1: And that's why you will go and try to challenge that. But if you've healed and you have in your core, like I do have what it takes, then when some wounded person, what they think about what you're doing ain't going to mean shit.
4: That's right. Right? Right. So in teaching this, uh, Anger management class, and I I told you how I started off. Yeah. But I share my life open, Mm -hmm. completely open. And there was this young man on the tier with me Well, one of the last classes I did. And he was there for that opening class, how I talked to them. And after the class, we had gone back to our units. And he came to my door. He said, hey, Mr. Moore. I said, what? He said, how could you do that? How could I do what? How could you be so honest in sharing with people you don't even know? Mm. I said that's a healing process for me. Is the more I talk about it, the more I'm healed. Right.
1: So, uh, that's a that's a little bit of what the sh- the essence, one of the underlying currents of the show is is revealing or be not confessing but just real discussions the real truth about our past because steve and i and sean i mean we're guys that have we've suffered and lived through a lot of different damaging events mm-hmm. in our lives that have impacted us as yeah. men right yeah. Yeah. and so part of in having these conversations with you and others and everything else we have a good time we joke around but also there's this healing aspect of being real about like, hey, this is what happened to me or this is what I went through. And I, and, and I would like to say I'm past it.
4: Or this is what I did. Or this is what I did. To take responsibility for your actions in your life. Mm-hmm. Right. It's Absolutely. It's important.
1: It real is. important, yeah. This is what I did. Yeah. Hey, Steve, listening to Ralph, does anything come up for you in terms of your... Your situation, or you're growing up, or you're anything uh,
0: absolutely, I mean, there's just in yeah, man. I just, uh, I understand. You know what? I think I relate so much to Ralph on so many levels is he said a couple of things like he felt like he hated God, and I relate to that because I felt like if there was a God. When I was a young man. Right. How would God allow this to happen to me? That's what. That's how what, would God allow that? That's time? it on the nail here. Okay. That's right there. So. Right. What, the, whatever God they were trying to sell. That God. I believed in God. I just didn't think that God believed in me. Right. Didn't have my back. So. That. And I remember catching beatings at home. And catching beatings at school. Mm. And there was nowhere to run to. Because I was mm. a coward and a sissy. You know. Mm. And I just remember, um, I re- when you say I was an angry man, I was an angry kid, I was angry, a scratch away from just losing it. I was at you know, this is, uh, I spent so much of my life like that. And not just as a kid, as an adult man, the way I saw, I was an angry, angry, angry person. And I think this is where I relate to Ralph on so many levels. And I still believe, even when I met you, there were parts of me that were still very, very angry. Mm-hmm. And just through growing up and watching a guy like you and learning from you on different levels, I've started to get to the other side. But it's like, I need men like you to go before me and let me see it really happen so that it opens my mind to Absolutely. be able to change. Bro. But um, you know, I under who you are today and the anger and hostility you carry through your life, I understand that. And I also see who you are. So I know that there's hope for you know immediately for, cha- for, for change. For change. Yeah. yeah Cause because yeah. I'm seeing it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of what he talks about, yeah, are differences in his Parent father and what he didn't, but there's a lot of similarities, and I just remember feeling powerless and angry at the world mm. for so long, man. Yes, yes. You
1: know what, man? Uh, while I was listening to Ralph talk about what his dad did, I remember I was sitting there thinking about the, there was one time that I was, I was, I was, I was, I was like in third or fourth grade, and my dad had a girlfriend and he had a boat, and girlfriend picked me up at school, and we're supposed to go down to now i had been down to this boat. 15, 20 times. I was a kid and probably had ADHD. Who do, I don't know, but I wasn't paying attention. I didn't know how to get to the boat. Mm. So it took three hours for me to, like, as a kid, tell the girlfriend, turn left here, turn left there. When we got there, my dad was red-faced and pissed. The very next day, my dad sat me in the front seat of the car, and he said, now you tell me how to get to the boat from here.
3: Mm.
1: And at every intersection, I'm going to say straight, left, or right. And if you're wrong, I'm going to punch you. Mm. And he punched me all the way down to the boat, and to this day, I'm terrible at directions.
4: That's <laughs> what it does to him. Now, my wife, because she's like, "You tell yourself, I don't have what it takes." Mm. And he instilled so you, that in so you, so you live with that. You live with that scar. Let me give you a, a, a just a little side story here. um I graduated from high school in 1967. That summer before I uh, went to college, um, I was working at North American Aviation and Space Program seven days a week. And I remember one Saturday I had off, and I went over to my friend on the next block's house, and uh, he said, come on, let's go over John's. John's a guy about our age, but that was in a wheelchair. He's a paraplegic. I don't really remember what happened to him, but we went over there, they were rolling some joints. Yeah. And I, for those of you that don't know what joints are, I'm (laughs) old school. And and, I had never smoked any before. And he passed me the joint, and I took a big pull off of it and sat there, and all my problems melted away. Right. I became one of the biggest weed heads around. Right. Because I knew that was an escape for me to not feel what I felt in my gut. And so I went through all those, every group they had in prison, I took every group. And then I started facilitating them mm-hmm. because I had a skill in doing that from my past life, Right. right. But that helped me to process all that anger, especially while at heart, especially towards my father. Right. I have two letters that I wrote my father forgiving him and asking him to forgive me for being that obnoxious mouth hmm. of a kid that I was. Hmm. There was a long time in L.A. that I wouldn't even go by my parents' house. I remember one day I was going down Martin Luther King Boulevard to the Crenshaw Shopping Center, and we passed in the car, my sisters and brothers and my mom and dad, and my wife and I. She said, Rob, there goes your family. I said, yeah, I see them. Mm. I saw the rearview mirror. My dad pulled over, put on the brakes, thinking I'm going to turn around. Right. No way, buddy. I just kept going. I left and went to Germany, and they didn't know where I was for a number of years. Mm. until my son was born and I called him. But I had that kind of anger. Right. I don't want nothing to do with you. Until he got sick and started dying. Mm. Then what happened? I used to go pick him up and take him to his appointments, his chemotherapy, and take him to lunch afterwards. My father died at my age today. Hmm. My oldest brother, my best friend, was so angry with me for committing this crime. He stopped talking to me for 20 years, would not correspond with me until he started dying Hmm. at this age. Damn. And then he called my daughter and said, tell your dad to do whatever he has to do so I can come in that prison and see him. And he came to tell me he was dying and asked my forgiveness. And that was my best friend. And he he didn't make it. Right. Hmm. But, you know, life goes on. And it does, doesn't it? And I have to live mine. And part of it is giving back. That's why I do the work that I do today. Um, I'm in school right now mm-hmm. to get my uh, license as a drug and alcohol counselor. Because back in the day, they didn't have you didn't have to have a license. You just had to have experience. Right. And uh, so I've done it for a lot of years. And during the time that I could have taken this course while in prison, I was doing other things and they wouldn't let me go to it. Because I have a couple of very close friends that... Um, Left CMC East for a year and went to Solano and took the test and got their license before they left prison. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a course to do that now. And it's more of a refreshing course. <clears throat> yeah.
1: It's all right. First? Yeah, we, we just added this out.
4: Okay, can we stop for a minute? Yeah. To the rest
1: yeah, me. please.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man.
1: I love this conversation.
0: Yeah, This yeah. got me hooked
1: right in, brother. Ralph
0: Moore. All right. right yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep.
1: How's that? How's that coming for you, Sean? What are you? Are you feeling that? Yeah. Um. Yeah, man. That's some it's serious, true.
2: like dad son shit, right now. Yeah. Not only that. You know I think about his his calling, you know, like he went to school and drafting he was good at it or whatever and then and then end up switching right and found this calling, and then almost like he needed to go through what he went through and go through the same thing that these other people were going through in order to understand them better. I see what you're saying. You know what I mean? To, to speak that language. Right. And then he gets back out and he continues the work. Right. From a, a completely different perspective and a completely changed person inside. So,
1: but like in terms of relating it back to you and your father, like you told me, dude, the story you told me about your dad shaming you. Yeah. Making fun of you.
2: On well, which? Um,
1: that you said that there was times where. Oh you yeah, were, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, and in which, and what he was talking directly about, which is, am I good enough? Wounded at the question of, am I good enough? Am I, do I have what it takes?
2: Yeah. Yeah, Definitely.
1: What so, yeah, related to you, dude. Like, what do you see? I mean, you're in the you're sitting in front of somebody who's got a lot of years and experience and going through this. This is your chance to like really apply some of these principles to your act, your situation, not make it academic, right? So, if we if we apply it to your situation, Sean, like the wound of am I good enough, like the wounding in the question of am I good enough? Do I have what it takes? In your situation, how would you see that laid out?
2: I don't know, man. Uh, it's funny you say that because I feel like I'm still on the quest of uh, I mean, I don't know if it'll ever be done. Uh, I'll fix this
1: mic, yeah, sure. What do you mean it'll never be done?
2: Well. In some sense, I'll never. I'll always question whether I'm good enough.
1: Stop right there, Ralph. What do you hear when you hear him say that? That's a cop
4: out. Cop out. Yeah. yeah. You can get that question right. answered. Damn, Sean. A little what book. A hundred-something-page book. Read it. All right. Read it. It's okay. a cop out in what way? Because to say it, I'm not willing to really take a close look at myself. Right. I'm not really ready to do just just this. Open up and share share this at cmc east i joined joined this group called the yoke Fellow groups you know what a yoke is right a what yoke you know how they take the thing they put on the Uh, the the ox ox. yeah to make both of them walk together the collar the collar that's a yoke okay so we're yoked together as men right Right. and we met every sunday and we're able to trust enough to share our deepest sorrows hurts pains and joy right and no one can give you any advice of what to do. I can tell you what my experiences are mm-hmm. and how I handle the situation, but I can't tell you what to do. Right. And that allowed a, a safe place for men to really share and be real with each other mm-hmm. because we're not. Right. We're not. Totally. We we grew up in this country thinking we're John Wayne or somebody. Some bullshit, you know? Yeah. We're fed a lie yeah. from the beginning. Yeah. Right. That's right. And we, and we don't know how to just open up and be honest with each other. Right. So, she, so when I say it's a yeah, I don't I don't try to hurt you or anything. No, no. I'm just saying that, you know, you're probably going through some stuff, man. Right. That's never been processed. That's never been resolved in your life. Oh, for sure. That's painful. Yeah. So you got to deal with it, bro. Oh, yeah. You but You to, see?
1: Do you he, see, like, Ralph, like, and I was sensing it, too. When you say, well, it'll probably never be done. You're already right. opening up the gate to. I'm, I'm not going to do the work. Yeah. 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 Do you yeah. see that?
2: So my thing is that it's not necessarily that it's the same wound. I'm saying that. There's like, several wounds. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. Then what I'm thinking is, like. You know, you could do the work. You could probably overcome one. Then, then go to the next gotta, one. You got to go to the next one. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't know if, if you know, it takes a while for it's, you to root out the cause and then also overcome it.
4: That's right. Sense. That's right. And it, uh, But know. once you start, it becomes easier because life is going to show you, hey, I still got some work to do in this area. Yeah, yeah that's true you know yeah and then you get in and work on it
0: right and you stop collecting more too the more you know you can stop doing things to right. stop creating more of these fucking well, yeah.
4: and
2: on the same on the same thing i think you when, when you do when you kick one or when you do when you deal with one you you build the bravery to tackle the other one Absolutely. so 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 Absolutely.
1: going back again now back to the question yeah all right these are great theories and discussions and we love it but yeah thinking about your dad so I'm saying my dad on a direction thing
2: punched me. Yeah, see, my dad never punched me, and it's like, not
1: about comparison. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what
2: did your dad? What was the wound? Uh, well, I mean the the real wound is like I think is like emotional neglect.
4: There you go. Right. There you go. Right. It, Which it, is it, what?
2: Put 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 it, words on that. My is like part time father. Not really. He's busy in. working, He's, doing
0: his thing, yeah. trying never to provide. Never gave you for his them. attention.
4: Never gave yeah, you validation.
2: I, ne- I saw him like once a month, or, or every other weekend, or whatever it yeah. was. And
4: your parents were divorced.
2: My my parents never married.
4: Oh, okay. So, so yeah, yeah. So that's that's the loneliness of of not having the male in your life, right? To show you even what a man is.
2: Yes, and not on top of that, I used to live with my mom. Who was married to my stepfather? Oh, who well,
4: here we go. Here we go. I oh, hate yeah. You yeah, need to yeah. read that book, boy. I'm telling you. Right. Yeah. Please go out and get yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, Wild at Heart. Wild if at you can heart. get the tapes, get the tapes with it. Man, that's such an impactful book. It changed my life. All right. Changed my life. That in um, The Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukov. Of the Soul. Yes, really good books. Really good books, man. Mm. Can help help men mm-hmm. be who they were created to be.
1: Because, okay. you know, Sean's got a thing that he's working on. And, like, it, it, he brings up. And the reason why I bring this up is in part because I, I want our listeners to understand Sean a little bit better. Because he's mm-hmm. a little bit, as you know, he's a little quieter. He's a little in the background. Well,
4: I, I was wondering, sitting here, what is your background? What, are you, what do you do?
2: What do I do? Yeah, what the fuck? That's a good
4: question. You know what, Steve and I I want to know what
3: the fuck he does too. Yeah, what do you do?
4: What do you do? For work? What do you do? (laughs) Yeah, let's start there.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm an audio guy. I run the audio. I do a lot of, I've been in uh, the music industry for a while. On the music retail side, that sort of thing, digital music, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. selling that Mm. that that, uh, package, I guess. And, uh, he
1: worked at Bport, He sold packs Napster. that DJs and producers would use digitally or whatever. He also okay. worked at Napster. And okay, then I worked so. at Native
2: Instruments. It sounds like so,
4: A lot of are like, you is that your thing? You enjoy doing that?
2: Yeah. I mean, so, you know, before I was, when I was living in, in the Bay Area up here, mm-hmm. um, I was doing like cable installation and I hated it. Yeah, and I always wanted to be in in the music yeah. realm, or right? Whatever. Right. And my wife was like, "Why don't you go back to school?" So I went and got my engineer, like audio engineering mm-hmm. thing, and then we moved to L.A. And I wanted to get into. The sound industry or whatever. He,
1: he bunked with me in my little apartment for like a, two months or a month or something yeah, like that, right? Yeah. While he was interning at Napster, chipping ice, you know, doing all the bum jobs, whatever. But he did doing- it with a plum and he did it with dignity and they eventually hired him. Yeah, oh, I was great. doing
2: two internships. I was doing one at Napster and one at a, st- like a recording studio. Mm-hmm. And then Napster was like, well, we're going to give you a job. And I was like, yes. Anyway. That's the and list. the rest it's is history. Yeah. history. This is why okay. the
1: blinking board is in front of him. Right.
4: Yes, I get t- Right? I, I, yeah, and exactly. that he's the man with yeah. the sound. That's it.
2: I'll edit this
4: yeah. know, later. So. No, and I want a copy of it. Yeah, of oh, course. Yeah. You, oh, could yeah. 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 you could yeah. download yeah. it. You could download it. You could put oh, it on your okay. thing. I'll send you a link. We'll get it Great. all for you. Yeah. Great. But here's Great.
1: the thing. So the reason why I'm bringing all this up with Sean's because, like you were saying, like he's an intriguing guy. He's got a lot of like he's got a certain kind of dignity. He's a good guy. And people don't get to know him that well, but like I know him real well. Mm -hmm. Right. And I already know he gets uncomfortable when Chumahan starts talking about his story. He starts (laughs) to get a little like, oh, here we go. (laughs) But one of the things that he's working with that he's trying to let go of or like a feeling is is the sense
2: that he's a burden. Yeah. On whom? Uh, Well, I mean, your wife. Yeah. Do
4: you have children? Yeah. How many? One. How old?
2: Three before So are month. you a burden to them? Not to my not to my son. Your wife? Maybe. Why? Um because I mean
4: I mean you I don't, don't have to answer. It. It. Who am I? I mean, you don't have to answer. You're me. Ralph
2: motherfucker it. Moore. He's gonna answer well, this question. Answer.
4: Do you love her?
2: Of course I do.
4: Does she love you?
2: I, I hope so, yes.
4: <sighs> yes. How about you does. hope so, man? Yes, you know that so. woman love you. She loves me. You're not a burden to her. Yeah, You're the joy of her life. I feel
2: like I'm a burden to her in some in some ways.
4: Because you don't help her enough. Maybe. Well,
1: well, wait a, a minute. Maybe or not. Take a yeah. look at it.
4: Yes. Take a I look at it. Don't help
2: her
0: enough. This take guy, a look he's at it. So man, from the outside, it sure looks like he does a lot, doesn't he? It? Just yeah. So so so.
1: To, to, to catch you up on this, Sean probably does way more than like in Steve's mind. He's like, man, that's a lot of shit that guy's doing for his wife, yeah. his family. For oh, instance, his wife went to India to study with a guru. All right, all right.
4: We're talking. (laughs) Look at his face. For like, how
1: how long was she gone?
4: Uh, Three weeks. Now listen, Ralph. Listen. Who ran the house? Sean did with the baby. Stop being so hard with the baby. Stop being so hard on yourself with the baby. She's going
2: back next month.
4: See, and 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 you know, I know what that is. Right. No, I mean I really know what that is. Of taking care of a child, because. I'm a real active father. Yeah. Change diapers. You know, the whole thing yeah. potty train my son. Right. You know, I get involved. Yeah. So don't be so hard on yourself. Bro. Dude,
1: this guy right here. Let me tell you something. This guy, this is why, you know, he's got kind of like this burden complex. Cause he's overvaluing what other people are doing and undervaluing what he's doing. Yeah, There's no yeah. way he's going
4: to break free of burden thinking you, you need to get a, get a bar of John. Eldridge. Oh, you oh, got what right. it takes, yeah. bro you got what it takes and he, I don't know you and I can say that right now okay yeah. he there was a period of time right because he
1: was the, he was in the in in the in, in the music industry and one of the companies folded or whatever they did I can't remember mm-hmm. so he was out of work for a certain period of time but his wife was working he how old was your son from I what you born like three months from oh, three months to how to, old to a year to a year he was the dad
4: and the mom yeah Mr. Mom yeah Man, he loved it. He I didn't come. There was not because a- that's a special time to bond with your children yes. that most men don't get. Yes, and see, I know that because when my when my son was still young, when my daughter was born, I didn't work in the mornings, yeah. so I took care of my daughter yeah. and my son. Got him off to school. Me and my daughter would hang out all day. Yeah, yeah. yeah I and that. then I'd go to work yeah. when mom came home. Yeah. Mm. So mm-hmm. that's special, man. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. You got what it takes and dude. Well, yeah, let's get back. A little something. Okay. <laughs> I know, yeah. uh, I want. Now.
0: Outside of outside Jesus. of um next to the ministry work which I know you're passionate about mm-hmm. and it really took up your time. You were able to get really involved in that which made you get through your time, you know, with some passion and your purpose and mm-hmm. Can you also talk about how you started really helping these guys on the yard get prepared for board and okay so
4: there's a there's a part of the story that we hadn't got to yet mm-hmm. is that I went to the board got found suitable mm-hmm. and then it takes 150 days mm-hmm. for the governor to either say yes or no the governor said no
0: <laughs> the governor said no mm-hmm. I heard this. The governor said no. The governor took
2: my
4: date.
0: You hear that? He said no.
2: The
4: governor Um, took
0: his date. He got found.
4: Governor governor Brown shot his down. Governor Brown. Really? Governor Brown. Yeah.
0: Jerry Brown. Yeah.
4: Mr. Helper. Yeah.
1: Said no to the guy who had put in so much work, and the
4: boy was like, yeah. Because this ex girlfriend who came to my trial, got caught lying on the stand about <gasps> me, was on the phone in my board hearing, and i have supposed to have legal representation there. There was a lawyer there. But I don't know what kind of lawyer he was. Mm-hmm. Maybe a dog catcher lawyer or something. Right. But he never objected to that. Huh. So I got shot down. Worst day of my life. You go to your cell door, you see this white piece of paper, a ducket. <sighs> I, I looked at it. I didn't want to pull it out the door. I knew what it was. Mm. Guys on the tears saw me. They said, What's wrong? And the governor just took my date.
1: Wait, before the governor takes your date, though, you've waited like
4: 120 days, 150 or, days. 150 days. So that's, and all, that's hell in itself. Right.
1: And everyone's so, probably telling you, like, "Rob, come on. You're going right, home, man. Come on. So if anybody's going I, home, it's you. step up to
4: my door, and there's a ducat sticking in there, the governor just took my... You don't know that. Uh, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Man, go to the office and they'll give you your mail right now. Right. There it was. Look, it's Duke got it. Man. A letter saying that he had taken my day.
0: So then what happened?
4: What is that? Does that letter like one page long where we regret two to pages, inform you? Two pages. Do they
0: start out with we, re- we regret to inform
4: no, you? No, they just said your, your petition for release has been denied.
0: Ah. Now, um, what is now? Does that mean a year, two years before you get to come back to board?
4: Well, I didn't know at the time, but the law says I have to be back in front of the board within 13 months. Okay. So I had my little pity party that night. Right. Mm-hmm. The next day I woke up full of fight and fire. You were like, yeah. I said, all right, this is going to change too. Right. You don't get to do it me twice. Right. Yeah, there you go. So um, I'm making sure I got all my ducks in order. I'm getting letters from outside, which is really hard to do. Who wants to sit out and write a letter about you after 20 years you're gone, out of their life? Right. And say, help. Please let him go. He has this kind of support. So I start getting all that together. And then um, I get I, I go to L-Top because I'd been denied, and that's the fast way to get into L-Top. And uh, this lady that knew me that worked over on West Yard was over at East Yard one day, and she says, Oh, they called me over, and I'm like, what are they calling me for? She said, I don't know who you know, but this man has called my office, like 17 phone calls for you, Mr. Moore. They need, they want to do your transitional living letter for the board. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, okay, cool. She, so She says, wait a minute. You went to the board. You got found suitable. What happened? And I told her, she said, look, go to the library this afternoon and look up this code in the penal code. What they did to you was wrong. She should have never been on the phone. The only people that can be in your board here are the victim's family. She got caught lying on the witness stand, and they still let her come to the, or the board day on the phone telling the same lie. Right. Mm-hmm. And because the psych... Okay, before you go to a board hearing, you have to have a psychological exam. (laughs) I know I did great work in prison, but I'm nobody's fool. Doctor, heal thyself? No. Right. So I've made appointments to go talk to the psych on CR, which is a mental health yard, just to see if I'm doing what's right. Right. Do you think this is the proper way to deal with this? And I met this uh, psych in we met four times, and that's you only get four times with her, and that's it because I'm not a part of the mental health population. And uh, she told me everything I had done was correct. That you're going to make it. Well, um, and when we, I told her that I got denied, she could not believe it. So put put a point right there, Steve. So
1: what we've talked about before, where it's healthy to have a certain skepticism to your own self-assessment, not totally. Not, I don't have anything, but to realize that you might get high on your own supply, mm-hmm. so it's good to check in.
4: That's right. Right? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely.
1: That shows, ra- that's showing rational thinking.
4: Okay. Yeah. So with the psych came originally, you have to have a psychic valve because that goes before the board with your record. Mm-hmm. Your record is every time you go to group and you successfully complete it, they have to put a crown on your file. Mm. So that's showing what you've done through your prison experience. And they'll question you about it. Mm -hmm. You know, what did you learn here? What did you get out of this? So the fact that I did every group they had and then facilitated every group there, I had the answers for them. You know, I didn't have to look at any paperwork. I'm just going to sit here and have a conversation like we're doing now. Right. It was part
1: of your DNA.
4: I'm going to tell you who I am and how I've changed.
1: Right.
4: So when I have the psychic valve, we, we talk and she has a good idea and then I said but wait a minute before she ended I said there's a there's a problem because this person well, she was angry with me because I kicked her out mm. and she came to, to court and lied on me she said well why I said because she was angry well you're here for a violent case were you ever violent with her I said, maybe in my words, yelled mm-hmm. at her. You don't. Know. Mm-hmm. You never hit her? No. Nope. Is there any police report about you hitting her? No, ma'am. Did you ever get convicted of anything with her? No, ma'am. She said, well, I don't want to talk about it because she has nothing to do with this case. She wasn't even in Los Angeles when the murder took place. Mm-hmm. Okay, you just like, yeah, I got to go with what you say. That's the first thing Governor Brown went to is that the psych never did fully investigate this issue with my ex-girlfriend. I see. So he said, I want another evaluation in this to be explored. But 13 months later, she hasn't come to see me. The psych didn't. So I go to board. And they said, well, the board's not going to see you today. like, what the hell now? And I told him about the situation. He says, "But there's one good thing: that person will never be in another board here. Than you go to." Uh, I said okay. So a month and a half later, I go back to board, and I have one of the worst board chairmen that I could get—an ex captain from CDC. Man, man, and I'm answering his questions, and then. He's so fragile. He's trying to bait me, which they do a lot of. Right. And I won't take the bait. And he starts yelling at me and that that hurt me emotionally more than it did anger me. Right. And I sat there and said to this guy and I'm thinking to myself, this man is yelling at me like I'm some kind of animal. And I haven't done anything to him. And then I guess it hits him and he starts to apologize that I can't do that anymore. <laughs> he says he can't do that anymore. It's because right. it's against how they train the board members, commissioners now, and and the head lady of the commissioners. These are appointed positions by the governor. Right. right. They make over $190,000 a year right. to do this job. And uh, the woman that's his boss who trains them had come to CMC East on a Wednesday night when my group goes, the Life Awareness Program, and she wanted to see it. Ah. So she knew who I was. She knew what I was about. So he apologized. And then they they break for deliberation. So it's the commissioner— and the deputy commissioner, they they go and deliberate. So they take me out the boardroom. And they go somewhere. Fifteen minutes past, and the CEO says, oh, more is too long. It don't look good for you. Mm. So when they start going past 15 minutes, it's usually bad. <laughs> I said, not... okay, here we go. <laughs> right. So I go back in, and he says, I can't fight anything to hold you on. So I'm compelled to let you go home. Ah. Oh. But I want to share something with you. Man. About, and I don't think we ever talked about this, about my first board appearance. You know, uh, that's your life. Mm-hmm. Right. That that you're meant to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. And most times you don't have a good attorney. More than not, you don't have a good attorney. Right. So you're like on your own. Right. And you have a district attorney from the county that sends you to this life in prison that's fighting for you to stay in prison. Right. So he's against you. The board member's against you. The deputy is against you. And you're sitting there by yourself. One of the scariest times of my life. So I'm sitting there, and uh, I go in there. It's my first time on the board. He says, "Uh, you seem like you're nervous. I said, yes, I am, sir. (laughs) I said, there's no hiding that. He said, well, just do some breathing exercise. Take your time. We're not going to start now. And I closed my eyes, and I started breathing. And you might not believe this in a million years, but when I opened my eyes, all these faces around those commissioners in that district attorney it's like they said what's wrong I said nothing I'm sure not going to tell them what I'm seeing <laughs> Right? <laughs> that ended right there yeah. Right? but I saw these faces and I'm like wow what is going on like hallucinating I'm yeah sorry. but like what kind of faces of angels
2: wow this is the first one
4: I'm in the board, two hours, and they found me suitable. Right. I cried like a baby sitting right there in that chair. Right. Because I didn't hear him in the beginning. Yeah, right. I didn't hear the commissioners telling me mm-hmm. that we found you suitable and he's going on making his, uh, 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 what do they call it, statement about you're doing parole, what mm-hmm. what they expect from you. Right. And I looked at the deputy commissioner. He looked at me and smiled. and said, "Yeah, you're going on." He mouthed that to me. I knew what was going on. Man. So the second time, okay. So when the psych comes back, the, same, the excuse me, the same psych has to come back to redo her evaluation. And when she walked to the room, she said, "Mr. Moore, I am so sorry." I just looked at her. She said, "You tried to tell me." and I wouldn't listen to you. She said, but we're gonna fix that today. Now, mind you, I was in the board for two hours. I spent the next five hours with her. She made sure every I was dotted and every T was crossed. She was gonna make it hard for them to even think about denying me. Uh-huh. Right. So, here I go again. Another 150 days. Man. To wait on the governor. Right. And on 147, this young CEO who was pretty cool called me to the podium. I'm sorry. Called me to the podium. He said, Look, I want to show you something. And he went on his computer and it said my release date. Man. Nice. And
1: what did you what did you do first of all who did you notify first that you were
4: coming home no one no oh oh, a friend of mine that used to come visit me from up here his mother started visiting me and uh, she told me she said when you get released I'll come pick you up
1: and then did you have idea like what you want like was there a meal or like a drink or anything that you wanted when you got
3: out no
1: (laughs) I always want to know man
4: no, no I just wanted to go home and that was to Walden House. Right. So she bought me a cell phone. Oh, that was a <coughs> lady that was trying to do all the stuff, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, um
0: Yeah, he got some when I, when he, I, gets, I, he got some stalker in love with him when he gets to when, <laughs>
4: when I when I <laughs> That's process, that slow roll. When That's I'm processing slow roll out um, staff was congratulating me. Right. And my first floor officer, he's up in the tower, the front tower. And he sees me walk out. He says, damn it, you beat me out of here. Oh. I said, yes, I can see you later. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I get in the car and I how do I do this? How do I work this? Right. And she told me, and I called my sister. And uh, she said, who is this? Mm. My brother's in prison. Mm. I said, this is your brother, damn it. I just walked out. She couldn't believe it. I had to say something to her to for her to believe it was me. Right.
1: You had to prove your identity.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. She started screaming and crying. Oh man, that's beautiful. And my family had had bets on me coming home. Right. They used to tell my mother, They gave Ralph life, but you know he's not gonna do it. Right. Right. He's gonna come out of there. Who won the bet? My sister, she did. <laughs> so, uh it's in May. What holidays in May? Cinco de Mayo. Oh, no, big national holiday. In May? Memorial Day. Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. It's Memorial Day weekend when I'm released that Friday. Okay. So the traffic is heavy as hell coming back up here. And I'm trying to get back because I have a certain time I'm supposed to check in at Walden okay. House. Uh, at least that's what they tell me. Right. But that wasn't so. Right. If I could have showed up at midnight and it still would have been cool. But right. I'm trying to call the parole officer. It's a nail biter know, right up to the yeah. end. Try to call the parole officer, let him know what that we're stuck in charge.
0: When is Memorial Day? The what? The what of May. Uh, let's look it up let's right see. now.
4: Yeah.
1: Let's
0: look because. So. I got there on I the 24th or 25th of May. I got there on the 17th of May. Oh, so then I was there a few days before that then.
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah so I that, got out on the seventeenth of May. I
0: really? just
4: I just saw that recently. Yeah.
0: Man, I, I might Memorial have gone.
4: Memorial Day is on the twenty fifth this year. Yeah. So I was there before Memorial Day happened. It was gotcha. like the Friday before gotcha. Memorial. Gotcha. So, um, I get to Walden House and turn my phone in. So let's maybe give up my phone. Right, right, right. I didn't want to do that. Yeah, I still want to call family and everybody. Right, you're on non. So I was there six days, and she said they came in and told me they wanted me to run the uh, Nexus desk.
3: Yep.
0: Yep. You yeah. That? I mean, as soon as he came in, they were giving they were giving Ralph jobs, and Ralph had plans the moment he came in. Did he? Yeah, he had a plan. He was saying all these things he was going to do, and one by one. Start
4: doing them. right, right on. So, so it wasn't that easy for me. No, 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 no. Ralph,
1: Ralph makes it look easy, but he put the effort in. Took, in. That's Michael time, of the Michael Jordan, but the CMC right there. You gotta
0: imagine you're out after doing all that time, and you're free right but you're not completely you don't you you're, you're not you you are you are on parole but on the same time you have to live by the conditions of this transitional of living. Walden
1: house right yeah.
0: you ain't just able to just walk outside right they take your phone and and you'll see a lot of guys just walk up out of there on parole because they're unwilling to now so follow rules. I've been following fucking rules for 25 years now but there's a couple guys in there that were able to be like you know what yeah, I'm free, but this is part of the process. This is just
4: ninety days after well, it. We had the best group. There hasn't been a group like us. No, still. We got some partners that we came through there together. Yeah. That were tight. Mm-hmm. We all were on the core. Core. We ran core. We, we ran, ran the house. house. Yeah, we ran
0: the house. Yeah.
1: So wait a second. So when you call, do you when do you see Lucky like what's Lucky doing?
4: What's he doing when you come out? Who's lucky?
1: Steve, Luciano. Lucky Luciano. Steve, that's oh. yeah. my boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I already
4: know I'm by Steve. Right, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. He was Steve then. Um I'll never forget the day we sat down and started talking about the play. What play? uh, uh Armor.
1: Armor. That play?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that could be bad, man. Yeah, 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 that absolutely.
1: Could be really bad. He told me about the play. Yeah. We were
0: at Starbucks, going crazy. Yeah, you know? that's the play. Yeah, and we were ta- We talked about it and we wrote on it, and yeah. we were trying to iron it out. I mean, mouth. Hey, and um, so
1: now here he is. He's got a show. Yeah. It's like blowing up. Yeah. We got a sponsor manscaped. Wow! Yeah, like you know, for a man facial hair and everything yeah. Tell else. What else we're doing. doing?
0: Tell him what else we're doing. What do he you mean? Doesn't, he doesn't know about all the stuff we.
1: got He doesn't going. know?
4: No.
0: Oh man,
1: Steve's rolling deep. We got <laughs> listen. We got we got a television show right that we put together that's got funding that's been blessed by Patricia Arquette. I can say that. Mm-hmm. That that I'm in the midst of halfway writing the script for, which we're bringing to first we're going to do audio for the, the
4: the listeners. Like I don't know if you listen to podcast Serial or um crime town or any of my my friend tries to get me to listen to the podcast that comes out of thick Quentin yeah but I just haven't had the time to to do it but awesome. uh, you know you can really put me down on it well, yeah and so I start paying attention yeah. so
1: so we're we're what putting kind of a TV show
0: oh dude we're,
4: this we're show gonna talk about that part off air yeah that
1: show but 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 yeah so that show's that's big and we've got all these people working on it animators we've got whatever whatever all, right, the, right, all right. right then we got two documentaries we got a documentary that we're producing called west Lows, which is about
3: right
1: yeah mm-hmm. which is yeah, about yeah, I, uh uh, uh the west side california like venice oh, santa monica low-rider culture. right there
4: venice beach that's yeah. beautiful well, of course all right if yeah, anyone says
1: yeah. different i put them in a headlock man yeah. the other one is uh we're, we're working on one with women that are in gangs a documentary wow. about women, and 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 we we
4: we're learning that like as tough as dudes think they are, they ain't nothing on women. <laughs> I just saw a scene on 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 TV. Yeah, no, it wasn't TV. It was on my YouTube about women in prison that blew me away. Right, really? I mean, it had to be tough to blow me away about prison. Right. How right, so? Right, right,
2: right. How so?
4: Because they are bad, yeah. mean as hell. They cold. don't play. Hey, they cold. do not You, you
1: got to believe that uh, somebody who has the capacity to carry a human life in there, inside of them is going to be capable of some stuff that is beyond.
4: My wife, when my son was born, we had gone through the Lamaze course. Right. This is in Germany. Mm-hmm. German Lamaze. No, American Lamaze. In In German. Germany. Okay. And she was in... Hard labor for over 48 hours, and she only felt one contraction
3: because I was her
4: coach. And it got so that they put the fetal monitor on her so I could watch the contraction start, wake her up, get her into her breathing exercise, and then watch the cra- the contraction subside. It's okay, baby, you go to sleep now. Right. Nice. Right, forty-eight hours. I stayed up with that woman doing that. Right, but the first contraction that happened to her, heart contraction. A couple that we're tight with, Dale and Jan. He's Italian, or she's Italian. Dale's not had had knew that we were at the hospital because Jan worked there. Dale was a drug inpatient, substance abuse counselor in the military, ninety-one golf, and they had come up. To see what was going on. If she's really going to go into labor, mm-hmm. she'll have the baby. And I was out there when that first heart contraction hit her. The nurse came and said, I think you better come in. Your wife is upset with you for not being there. Right. Yeah. And when I walked in, she had, you know how they bring the sluts up on the bed? Yeah. She had her feet on one and the hands on another. She's not a big lady. She's a small, thin. She used to be a model. Okay. And I saw the veins pop up in her Uh-huh. <laughs> I said, oh, my God. She said, you take me home. And I said, oh, no, I'm not. Right. We're going to get into this breathing exercise. Right. It's time to get Lamaze up in here. And I was talking with my daughter, who is having her first child, my youngest daughter, who's pregnant with her first child, just the other day. And I said, did you ever read in Marcus's baby book what your mom wrote? About going through the Lamas, she said, "Yeah, I know you were really something." Yeah, I said, "You and your husband better go to the Lamas. Right. Yeah, she right. said, "Okay, Dad." <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: but yeah. you, when you're a guy, because I was uh, same we thing with the my, pain. We, I was the same thing with with my wife in terms of being there with the, Let Sean, his he was there with his wife. They had the baby in the bed.
4: Yeah. Um, I I delivered my daughter. Yeah. The the doctor let me after he got. The head out, yeah, yeah. and the shoulders in place, right? Yeah, he said, "Okay, come here and take I my son." Yeah. yeah, that's, that's cool, huh? Yeah. And
1: that's then, cool, and then, and the dog, amazing. and the dog, his Did dog was you, you just caught, watching. You caught your your kid, right? You know what? I didn't because my baby's head got stuck in my wife's uh, birth canal uh, for Jesus. like a long time. And, dude, oh. they had this lady, Vicky Sue was her name. Vicky Sue? Vicky Sue. She was like an Appalachian old lady that was probably, like, doing laundry and A wash midwife. tubs. Yeah. yeah. And she had, like, fingers, and she was stretching everything out, yeah, man. Let me yeah. tell you. Like, I thought somebody was going to die.
4: Yeah.
1: Okay. And, I, and my job was because my wife, we didn't do, now, my wife, she's, like, all natural, man. Vegan. Yeah, she doesn't yeah, want drugs. Yeah, she's yeah. not going to do that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because women have a little bit of a birth competition amongst each other. It's like birth Olympics. Mm-hmm. They talk about guys being macho. You know, guys being like, I did this, I did that. You listen to women talking like, yeah, I did that without an epidural.
4: My wife has no stretch marks for having the baby. That's another one. Look, she has a, a little mark right, like that, a one stretch mark. Yeah. And she says, that's what that damn boy did to me. Yeah.
3: Talking about
4: my son. I said, you don't have any stretch marks. right. Yeah, what Jessica you didn't have any of oh, all they, either. They, uh, they,
1: uh, yeah, no, my competition. Wife, I'm and my, yeah. competition. I'm telling you, my yeah. wife had like coconut butter. Yeah. She was rubbing cocoa, that. Cocoa butter. Yeah, This other
4: stuff called mother's friend. Yeah. I bought a lot of it. to send to my daughter for Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's not going to have them either. So my wife oh, yeah. was
1: like, okay, so we're going to do Hypno Babies." Whoa. Yeah, it was a heavy thing, man. And what it was, was it was hypnosis, right? Wow. So we did like a 10-week training in Southern California, a couple of vegans doing exactly what you think organic people would do, right? <laughs> but like hypnosis, and I'm sitting there with my wife, and we're going through this hypnosis, and the hypnosis is set up to treat you like, oh, it's not any pain, and it feels so good. And you're not even allowed to say contraction. You were supposed to say like, Birth expression or something like that to try to change the whole thing.
4: I'm not kidding Sounds you.
2: Like some San Francisco
4: shit. So, so did your wife feel the contractions?
1: Oh, she damn well sure <laughs> did feel the contractions. <laughs> do we, so, so I figured out how this thing works. This thing works in tricking you that the hypnosis is going to work until it's too late.
4: Then you're going to have the so, contractions. So with us, it's a breathing exercise, right. right? And if you get her to focus on a point and do the breathing with you, coach her through the breathing she won't feel it i'll tell you what
1: though what she needed me to do for her that whole time and i was Rub up the whole back. time i rubbed her back i squeezed her hand and there were certain words and mantras that they had she, the only thing that distracted her was me repeating the mantras and she was uh, in the tub out the tub uh, sitting uh, down up uh, down uh, everything yeah. you could imagine yeah yeah and uh then and then dude this is true story bro when and then it, so we're exhausted and i i'm not gonna say i'm exhausted because she's the one with the baby but honestly you get
4: exhausted i get right. exhausted right. Here, yeah. right
1: my boy and we're laying there and she's so tired and i'm so tired the baby still is not here it's in the middle of the night and she's laying there and we're actually starting to sleep together in between contractions
4: yeah that's what i'm saying yeah. right we were resting but, in between contractions yeah. Well, yeah yeah and then
1: she turned to me and she's like i'm tired She's like, ah, and she said something to me. I didn't know what she said. I didn't understand it. And I said, yeah, because I was tired. I go, yeah. Then she looked at me. She's like, that's what you got? It's just, yeah. And I realized she wanted me to pump her up. It was time for me to be the cheering section. So I said to her, like, listen, our baby, that little girl, she's depending on you. You can't be tired right now. That baby's not going to make it into this world unless you're willing to continue to work and push. That's and right, she did. Right. And yeah. she did. And the baby came in. Yeah.
4: That's it, beautiful. Most yeah.
1: beautiful thing that ever happened Amen. in our life. Amen.
4: Yeah. Well, so we go back to this or what?
1: I think wow. we might be. at. I, what do you think? We're at the. I think we're at the adios amigos.
0: Yeah. Damn near.
1: We uh, covered everything.
4: Uh, how long has it been Sean take a look at the calendar well you haven't see. heard about I, I have some things I want to say it. Yeah. you right, haven't heard go. about coming out of prison yeah after so, 24 years uh, yes that that freedom that you might think you would just love comes in on you mm. I dare forget the first time they said I could go out a pass to go somewhere I went downtown close to here and yeah. I went, came right back what happened? Because I didn't feel safe. It's overwhelming. Oh, yeah. I didn't feel safe. Too many people. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, remember when we went to the movies? What movie uh, did you guys go to? I don't remember. I don't remember. It, wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't memorable, but they, they they paid for us to go to the movie. The core. Yeah. Us, the group, our group. Shoot, when that movie was over, I was ready to go home. Were you? I was too. Yeah.
0: I wasn't even out of doing a life sentence. Yeah. Yeah.
4: (laughs) So, this was the amazing thing that happened to me. Must have been an Adam Sandler movie. I don't know what it was. (laughs) You guys are ready to go home halfway through. 30 days. Okay. So, when I get out, they tell me, well, you need to go file for SSI. I said, oh, okay. I'm thinking because I was in prison for so long. Right. So, I went, they said, no, you don't qualify for any money like that. I said, oh, okay. We get ready to get up. She said, No, hold it, hold it, wait a minute. She says, but you have money. <laughs> I do. She said, Yeah. You're S D I. Right. Your retirement. I said, Oh. Okay. So they were <laughs> short on workers that day, so she, she had this computer set up and had me, you know, uh fill in all the answers and everything. Yeah. Thirty days later. Carrie calls me in the office to sign paperwork for a stop program. She said, oh, here, you got some mail also. She gave me the mail. I stood there, tore the envelope open, put out a check for $5,760.
1: That's a nice shot in the arm.
4: I said, down. I said, man, is this real? She (laughs) She said, yeah. I said, how much do you want of it? She said, we don't want any of it. You're all paid. Through stuff. You don't know it's nothing. Right. I said, this is mine? She said, yeah. I said, what person come out of prison after 24 years, just get a check dropped on them for five grand? Right. I hurry up and rush to the bank. Right. So we had a little rebellion there for a minute. Mm -hmm. Not him. Right. But the lifers did. with for me. Right. And he didn't like that. And, and the Wiggler's the one that got me to speak up, right? Right. The, Who's the Wiggler? This guy named Daryl, Daryl, what's Daryl's name? What? No, Daryl Dyer. Dyer.
1: Wayne yeah. Dyer's brother.
4: <laughs> and I called him the Wiggler because, <laughs> because every group, that he was supposed to take, he got out of it somehow. He wiggled out. Yeah. And he could be standing right next to you and the next minute he's gone and you don't know where he went. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I call him the Wiggler. But that's right? a good name. Anyway, uh, he's a bad person anyway. Anyway, so, because of me being the leader, it seemed like, of this rebellion of the light mm-hmm. first, because we we're saying we're not in a drug program, we're in a transitional program. And you have us going through these drug things that we did all in, while we were incarcerated. We yeah, don't guys need that I didn't use drugs in twenty twenty five years. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Their, their problem wasn't drugs anymore. You know 31, I mean? years time. Since, 31 years since I smoked any weed. Right. You know? Yeah. So, but you got me going through this and I can't go to work. So they made me stay there for five months. And no. Penalty. That's the penalty. Yeah, because everybody else left me,
3: mm-hmm. right?
4: And and uh, then I find out I shouldn't have even stay there twenty days. They should have done an evaluation and sent me to the island from the beginning, man. But anyway, I did it. I did my penance. Right. You know. Right. And um, so it's time to get a job. Right. And I told everybody from prison, I don't care if I have to flip hamburgers. I'm gonna be the best flipping hamburger person you ever met. Right. But I know I got, I have skills. Right. So I got a job with Acrobat. It's a, a nope. outsourc- outsourcing agency. Got it. To be a dishwasher at Jetta
1: Dishwasher.
4: Yeah. Hmm. So the first. Six months out of prison—that's what I did. Then
1: there was some clean dishes. Huh? Yeah, I, I remember. Went, I
4: remember you were going
0: to Genentech. I remember not, this.
4: Not just clean dishes. They loved me there. Yeah, they loved me there. The manager started crying when I thought I was leaving, and I still call her today. Mm-hmm. Every Christmas, I give her a call, you know. But uh, I did the job, and I was satisfied. Right. I got a paycheck. Yeah. I mean, after 20 years in prison, the paycheck is nice.
1: Right. Yeah.
4: And then they had the opening at Right, The agency that he went through. Right. Yeah. So, uh I came to work for Steve at Healthright as a recovery coach counselor. And um uh, that's been pretty rewarding.
0: Right. Yeah. Really rewarding. Yeah, like the group of guys that went through together. Like he's talking about core yeah. Like these guys that we just all happened to be there at the same time. We right. all started running the house and we were the voice for all the clients in there, right? Right. There's like five of us on the board. Yeah. Four of the five of us all got hired on to work for the agency. So he comes on as a counselor. You the you're what's the, his name comes on as a counselor? Uh, uh you know your
4: program has blossomed. Do you know what it Ricky is? Ricky went on as a chef. Ricky's hired he's gonna start working next week at two forty. Yeah. At my so place. and then you went on and then what's his name went on as uh that Matt, works with,
0: Matt went on. Well, and he's then I on went the on the as island. coordinator.
4: He's on the island, that would have been your job. He runs the opiate program there. Yeah. Yeah, that would've if you'd have stayed, that would have been your, your baby. Yeah. They remodeled the, the apartments, mm-hmm. you would not believe them. Yeah. And that they got a good program going on. That's top dollar now. So like the SLE that I was at,
3: mm-hmm.
4: no more. No more SLE. All, right. all the opiate program. <laughs> it's the money. Yeah, <clears throat> They pay the most for that. But yeah. there's a lot of the opiate problems out there right now. Of course it is. The
1: Oxycontin and all Oxycontin, that. Oxycontin, fentanyl. Right. Fentanyl. people.
4: Kill Prince. Um, mm-hmm. We've had a death on the island. Mm-hmm. And who? You Mike, know that apartment behind was, mine? No, yeah. A thing. Where the staff used to go? Yeah. It was well, that's now he was taken. Now, but that didn't kill him. Okay. And and there was a death Pro- in there. From there, Pro- three Pro- days, Pro- eight fifteen Pro- a death, Pro- and two deaths, oh, two deaths at 890. Two deaths at all on unfold- fentanyl. Yeah. Jesus. And and then a staff death. A staff death. A staff, death. A staff death. Paul. Paul? Mexican Paul? Yes. What happened to him? They think he fell out a window.
0: Oh, I heard about that. That's crazy. At 890? At 890. Fell out a window.
4: They said they don't know if he nodded out or what was up, right? Yeah. He was probably sitting in, you know, in the back by Jermaine's office where that bathroom is. Yeah. And then that next office not where uh, the lady from Stop used to come, but there's another office behind there. He used to sit back there and smoke a cigarette. And they don't know if he had been out late, sitting there smoking a cigarette. The sun is out, nodded off, and fell off that ledge. That's a far drop, Or somebody pushed him. Right. He was dead when he hit the ground. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, That was sad. Yeah. yeah. Very sad. But yeah, fentanyl is, is alive and well here in this city and is killing people. Right. Yeah. Killing people badly. Right.
0: Yeah, I walked through that. Uh, I walked through the uh, Tenderloin a couple times, uh-huh. and there was dudes come up to me, and they had them in, in, in envelopes of fentanyl, white powder in these black envelopes. Man. They call it fent, fent. fent. They're
4: selling that shit like it's nothing. And they're using it like it's nothing. Yeah. yeah. It's horrible. Right. One time you hooked. Right. One time. One time I was in the barbershop yesterday. And and the guy came in to get his hair cut and uh the guy the barber's talking to me and and uh this guy started talking about some girl he saw that was in a program got out and then, you know, relapsed and everything. And he said, same thing happened to me. He said, just took one hit of some crack with fentanyl in it. He said I was out of control. Man.
3: Yeah.
0: Hey, so so uh so now just to get pulled up to date you are now going to – you're going to be working, doing some work.
4: Well, I'm going to – I just sent my resume, cover letter, and application to Uncommon Law. Oh, yeah. They're starting a pilot program, and I would manage that pilot program to train attorneys, law students, to work with families, and then go into the prison and train inmates to go to the board. Yeah. Okay. Something I was doing in prison mm-hmm. and out of prison – there's a young man that um, I told you about at the beginning. Listen to this, that, you guys. Listen that, to this. Yeah. That, uh, Give him a little background a, on this. He game. had to uh, get his GD for me to kick it with, take right, a kick yeah, with right. me. Well, this young man, his story is really hard. He, uh, his mother was a crack addict, a prostitute. His father's a drunk, an alcoholic. So he grew up with his grandmother. And I guess around 13, his grandmother died. Mm-hmm. He couldn't stay at his father's house. His mom was gone, mm-hmm. so he stayed with the cousin. They were older, so he followed in behind them mm-hmm. a gang member. That's how he catched the murder. Excuse me, I don't like using that word. That's how he committed the murder.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So, because that language alleviates the responsibility. You catch versus commit.
4: Correct. Got it. So he comes to prison. We beat. He denounces the gang. He starts sharing his story everywhere he could to every classroom he could go in, every shop he could go in. 14 years old, he committed this crime, and he killed a paraplegic. Right. Okay. And he's talking about his life. And... uh, started to do good. So he wrote the gang diversion part of the curriculum of the Life Awareness Program that I started and was one of the facilitators. I had about 16 guys that I trained to be facilitators and I only used 12 of the top 12 mm-hmm. is who helped do the program with me. Um, We had 18, no, we had 22 suicides in 18 months, I kept Snoopy. Wow. That's unheard of. That's crazy. And they were on the warden, uh, Cheryl Gonzalez, because something's wrong. Right. This is the easiest place to do time. And you come up with 22 suicides, not on one yard, but on all four yards and in that sec. So what's going on at that right. mm-hmm That's an aberration. Well, I used to sit on the board with uh, the medical staff. Uh, the MAC reps, each each tier in that prison had a MAC rep representative, would meet with staff. So I would meet, okay, the, the a medical department went into receivership because they weren't doing their job correctly. Mm. So the three-judge panel took over the medical department, right. and they hired an overseer named Scott. Mr. Scott and I became pretty close friends. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm going to be up front. I'm going to tell you the truth whether you want to hear it or not. And, uh, so he liked that about me. Right. And then they had a, a, a an associate warden, the head of psychiatry, the head surgeon, the head, head nurse, and the head dentist. All of them would be at this table it, it be the staff on that side, the inmates on this side. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we go, we meet once a month. And sometimes mm-hmm. we go in there, and they're talking about tennis shoes, and and they're talking about TV shows. And I look at these cats and just like, I don't know where to get you guys from, but that's not what we're being for.
1: Right, mm-hmm. this ain't social hour.
4: This is well, they were trying to get the staff. To do something for them, uh, more TV shows, or a certain kind of tennis <laughs> shoe, and all that. Right. And I'm like, man, forget that. We got people dying at this prison, and we're not at war with anybody. Come on. So, um, I had gone to several meetings with the staff, the administration, and the warden and the uh, chief deputy, and they and they had the, all the back reps in there, and they're trying to. Come up with some kind of solutions to this this crisis we've been going through at the prison, and for two months it just kept happening. So, uh, some of the inmates got together. At this they were gold coats. They they uh, produced a video that oh they were pumping it up about it. The staff was mm. Sacramento was, mm-hmm. but it wasn't worth anything. Nobody's gonna watch that video and then not commit suicide right if they're committed to doing that right of course you need intervention that's real right so um i would be in this in this meeting i got yelled at once by the warden, the chief deputy because i said um you know you're talking about what to do we had some good programs here and you shut up, down and they turned around and yelled at me, what programs? I was like, whoa, you're so mad. <laughs> Take it easy. And uh, I told her what programs. So the second time we had the meeting, I said, what are we doing about the suicides? Right. So she said, more, right? I said, yes, ma'am. I said, OK, I'm going through the hole now. Yeah. They're going to put me in that. said. she says, well, uh, would you wait here after this is over and I want to speak with you? Oh, yeah, I'm for sure going to the whole nah, now. Right. It's my man straight to the home. Right. You know? <laughs> but she said, you, told, you said something about a program. And uh, I'd like to, do you have the curriculum? I said, yes. Could you give it to one of her assistants? And he'll make sure I get it. And I'll get it back to you. I said, okay. So uh, I know she read it because she made some... Uh, remarks about the grammar being incorrect mm-hmm. right she edited it yeah so everybody she, gotta put their stamp said, on she it. she read it at least i can think but she said this is not what i'm looking for this is not what i'm looking for so i said okay i tried right that's all i can do <laughs> and then about a month later she saw me in the line going to medical and i looked and i said oh she wants me so I get up and go over there. Everybody was surprised because they said, she's asking for somebody. What do you guys she knows? And I got up and walked over there. She said, you get your paperwork back? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, that's cool, but it's not what I want. I said, what is it you want? She said, I want something that touches every person's life that's incarcerated to help them. I said, oh, I can do something like that. She said, you can? I said, yes. She says, well, do it. And in the process of me putting this together, she gets a promotion and goes to Sacramento.
3: Mm.
1: Oh, oh, yes.
4: And she's in charge of all the men's program except the shoes. You know what the shoe is? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm like, oh, that did that. But Mr. Scott, in this meeting that we're in, and right here sits Dr. Oh, shoot. Oh Harrison, who's the chief of psychiatry at CMC East. Nothing goes out on, on C or D-Quad that he doesn't approve or okay.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: So we're at this meeting and I says, you know, we still have men dying. And nothing's being done. So Scott said, well. Aren't you writing something to start a new program? I said yes. I finished it. I gave it to uh, to the uh, uh, the ward's assistant. I haven't heard anything, and she's gone. Mm-hmm. He said you gave it to him. I said yeah. He said well, just a minute. Let's let's uh, let's just table that for a minute. So when he brought it back up, I said, look, I'm an inmate. I said, but I'd like to ask you, Doctor Harris. I said, isn't it the loss of hope? Oh, before I did that, Mr. Scott said, we've looked at all the files of all the guys that have committed suicide, and there's no line that runs through all of them. Right. And I turned to the doctor. I said, isn't it? And I'm not trying to tell you how to do your job, sir. I'm just an inmate here. But isn't it the loss of hope of when a man gives up, that he's willing to take his own life? He looked at me. He said, you're correct. So Scott said, let's stop for a minute. And he went and got the guy that was supposed to oversee this program getting started, right? Mm -hmm. So he comes in and he looks at me. It's like, oh, here's this ninja again. I know that's what was in his head. (laughs) And Mr. Scott says, well, what about the, the program Mr. Moore has turned into you. He said, well, I read it, and it's no different than all the other programs we have. He says, the same people go to all these things. I see the list from AA and NA and same names all the time. I looked at him. And other staff looked at him like, what are you talking about? Do you know that people that go to NA and AA in prison have to do it all the time? If not, they lose their sobriety. Right. And then the board is really going to shoot him down. Right. Because you started in a and you didn't continue with it. Right. No follow through in your life. Right. He was unaware of that. What? Yeah. Wow. And he's up in the administration. Right. What a dummy. <laughs> so, about, oh, so the, Mr. Scott says, uh, Mr. Harrison, Dr. Harrison, did, have you seen the program more Has uh, prepared? He said, no, I haven't seen it yet. I said, I'll get it to you tomorrow morning, sir. And I'll have one on your desk, Mr. Scott, before you come into work. So they didn't know that as soon as she said for me that I could write that program, the first person I went and talked to was Dr. Harrison on his yard. Mm. Because I don't want to step on your toes. You run the mental health department and you probably do a wonderful job, sir. And I don't want to mess with it. But this is for the people that are, aren't on the mental health yards.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: And we talked about it for about two hours. And he shared his opinions, and I shared mine. And then once he read ready, he said, You did a good job. Mm-hmm. So um, about 40 days later, I'm going up front to do another group. And he. It's walking up front, and we walk together to the visiting room. He said, you did a great job. Don't worry about it. You're going to get the program. So about a week later, this dummy comes and tells me, uh, you can start your program, and I have a sponsor for you. It's like, we have to always go out and find our sponsors. To They're called LTAC programs, which are inmate-ran, inmate-based. He's mm-hmm. so he this is his way to help this lady make some extra money because they get paid for overseeing these programs. Mm. So we get started. And uh, actually the first 16 weeks, the 16 week program. And at the end of that, we're going to have a graduation in the visiting room. And I invite the people from the staff from education, the staff for mental health, um, the warden, the chief deputy warden. So the warden, um, Mr. Valenzuela comes in and he says, we said, look, I have a previous engagement. Um, introduce me first. Let me say a few words and then I'm going to duck out. A, no problem, Wharton. <laughs> so politics. That's the politics. It's all politics. Man. Yeah. So I introduce him. He talks. And then I bring up four of the guys that I asked to write speeches about what they thought about the program. And they did such a wonderful job. The warden wouldn't leave. He called me over. He said, I want to talk again after they finished. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah. That's, That's big politics. Yeah.
4: So he was really uh, proud of the job we did. Right. And he talked about how he hated going on B-Yard because I'd always see it. And I never took no for an answer. You know, <laughs> that, that he he knew when I saw him, I was coming at him for something. Right. right. And it was first... I had worked in education for a number of years, and the teacher that I first started working for uh, became the principal. So I would get her to copy the material. It's 100, 134 pages. Mm-hmm. So she would copy it. And then that got too expensive. So I said, she can't do that anymore. He says, we'll get, we'll get a copy, whether it's the print shop or, or, or uh, we'll send it out to Kiko's. So they, they printed the book up for me. Yeah. And they've had about, they do about 200 each time. They've had eight runs of that book so nice. far. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah.
3: Man.
1: That's how you got the name Relentless Ralph. I'm telling you, man. No, my name is Resourceful Ralph. <laughs> resourceful Ralph. <laughs> resourceful yeah. Ralph. Yeah.
0: Ralph, man. <laughs> <laughs> It's unbelievable. (laughs) It really is, though, right? I mean, it's a beautiful story. Beautiful
4: story. Off the hook, man. Yeah. So, real quick, let me wrap up with this. That young man I told you about. Yeah. um, So, I went to a barbecue at PLO, the prison law office. Yeah. And they had me come in and and do this twice for their attorneys, their whole staff. And then I did the trading. For them to get the ward and chief deputy at at the prison dismissed, uh-huh. and then they invited me to come to a training that their staff went through of how to help inmates get computation of their type off. So I went through that training, right? And I told them about Stewart. That's what I wanted him to do. So Stewart's the the, uh, the guy that committed the crime. Yes, okay. the crime at the beginning where we started, right? And they took 13 years off his sentence. And that put him at the board this past June. He walked out of prison a week before Christmas. Hmm. And he's doing really well. There's Christmas
0: again. Yeah. Wow. And that that was Ralph directly making it happen with PLO. Right. Yeah, Yeah, staying consistent. Because you told me about this dude and that you were working on him. They represented
4: him him in his board hearing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You told me couple years ago, about this guy, how you were going to work for him. You hadn't given up
4: on him. and Yeah. Yeah, and you, uh, he got up. out. He's up. Yeah. Uh, I love it. So the job I'm applying for is going to be doing that kind of work.
0: Right. Yeah. That's what's up. That's it. All right. P.L.O. Big shout out to them. Uncommon Law. Uncommon Law. Right. One of the
1: founders, uh, one, one of the guys is a, uh, a founding fellow for the Obama Foundation. I just looked that up. I'm I didn't going
4: really to. That. If you got, I if you got a situation, see a movie about Circle. It's a guy that was in Katrina that moved to Oakland, got a job with the Oakland school district working with at-risk kids. It's a film about him. Yeah, and and Keith Watley. and uh, I'm going to view that on Monday evening, and then the next that following Tuesday, we're going to sit down and have a. A panel discussion about this
0: i love Let me it ask you something um so ralph at, eventually as this show gets aired we're we've got a lot of listeners that uh are kind of uh involved one foot in this world one foot out family members mm-hmm, that are incarcerated mm-hmm. right right yeah. and i'm sure that people are going to be inquisitive man they're going to be like hey you know what I think this and that. How can I get a hold of Ralph? how
4: can I get a hold of these people? So you got my email address. You got my phone number. Okay,
0: so we're 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 gonna have to we're gonna have to include that and get that out there in plo and and we're gonna have to give some resources when we put up your show. Okay, that they can reach out to. Okay, okay, right. No so they problem. can
1: follow up on and uh, wild at heart, wild. seed of the soul. Mm-hmm. right two yeah. books
0: yes don't
1: play around look into it's your time. life don't play yeah. around that's right all right I love Rob, it. this was
0: great man just thank well, you for, I thank you for having me thank, thank you for, thank you for teaching us all something and sharing yeah. your journey and and just thank you man for being you bro and leading by example and um you're an inspiration and you know when we come back up to san francisco love to have you and again do some no commentary problem. and hang out with us no problem
1: studio audience how do you feel about resourceful rock <laughs>
0: I love you, Ralph. Yeah. Yep. Keep your clothes on, Ralph.
3: All
0: (laughs) right. All right. Listen. Thank you again, Ralph. Yeah. To my co-host, my my sound engineer. You guys did a great job, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank Thank you so much. I want to say, from the Hard Luck Show, the greatest show on earth, San Francisco, California. Good night, adios, and we're signing off. Adios.